Hello, passengers, and welcome to the Midnight Train, where we bring the dark to light and where listener discretion is always advised. Because, you know, we make fun of and joke about creepy stuff that could be a little bit dark, and some people may not like that. But you, you listening right now, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. If somebody was like, hey, check out this podcast, and this is your first time listening, you are going to walk away from this not only inspired, but a better person. You are going to walk away. Ah, who am I bullshitting? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, welcome and welcome back to everyone else out there. Of course, yeah, stuff can get dark. Uh, You know, you know how it is. Anyway, you guys get it. But anyway, just, you know, be forewarned, just in case, you know. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer. And with me, of course, is the one and only Logan. Hey! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Can I believe I did that? Uh, So you people out there probably have no idea what just happened, but I actually hit the wrong button and turned the whole damn thing off. Yes, and now we're back. (laughs) And it was no Uh, skip at all. Yeah, that was... was, uh, I watched him do it the whole time. I was going to say something, but I was like, oh, that was a first. For I want to see him do it. That was a first for me. Oh, yeah, the Disarono is hit. No, uh-huh. God, it's so good. But no, no, <laughs> it's not doing that. Anyway, um, it is delicious, though. It's so good. Yeah. Um, it's, that's what we're drinking Disarona yes. and a rye whiskey mixed together. And if you guys have not tried it, if you're a bourbon or whiskey fan, add a little bit of Disarona in there. Just a smidge. Holy mackerel. Yeah, it definitely is a game changer. What a compliment to mm. it. Oh my God, it's so good. Mm. So listen, our Patreon bonus for this past week. Yeah. What did we talk about? I don't remember. Really? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, we talked about the wonderful life of uh, Brahms. No, we did oh. not. <laughs> uh, boo. <laughs> so no, this past week we actually talked about Angels of Mercy. Yes, yeah, we're talking about that. Doctors and nurses that actually kill for whether it's pleasure or because they think they're doing something. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty messed up. And uh, so yeah, get on over to Patreon, sign up, be a pooper, be a Patreon supporter, yes. get bonuses, get cool stuff, and help out. Yeah, a uh, very awesome, um, you know, something we we care a lot about. We definitely do care. And that we are supporting a charity, so we'll talk about that later on. So listen, in the meantime, listen, we're going to just save everything else. Okay. Because we want to get into this. Yeah, of course. So let's uh, turn down the lights. Oh. Uh Adjust our seats. Mm. Come back. (laughs) (laughs) Let's grab a drink. Hey, we got one. Yeah. And let's get creepy, but first, of course, here's a toast to all you beautiful Jeff Butchko was in a really dark place when he wrote this. Yellow bit. Yeah. Or he was higher than a giraffe's asshole. Could be a possibility. Could be a possibility. Or, or both. I'm leaning more towards both. And this is what happens when he's not high. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you guys are over there uh, checking out Code November. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Butchko, uh, my former, former co-host on the show. Yeah. Who is actually... 
Mike, co-host for the other show. <laughs> <laughs> and we were in writing a bunch of music together. We actually are. We got some cool stuff in the works for that. Oh, so excited. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. So, Logan. Yo. What are we mm-hmm. a- talking about today? The Angels of Mercy, of course. Oh, no, no. That was the that was the Patreon episode. Oh, we're not doing a... No, no, no. Oh, that's why we're talking about the Pilots of Mercy, right? I don't know if it's pilots of mercy. No, it's actually uh, suicide pilots. Oh, that's not the mercy. not the same thing. Ah, no, gotcha. that's not. I mean, gotcha. I, not really. No. <laughs> so a pilot who intentionally crashes crashes. Cra- great start to this <laughs> yeah, one. Three words in. <laughs> who intentionally crashes or attempts to crash an aircraft in an attempt to commit suicide, often with the intention of killing other people on board or on the ground, is said to have committed a suicide. Yeah. This is occasionally referred to as murder suicide. It is known to have caused some commercial aviation crashes and is likely to have contributed to others. In general, it is challenging uh, for crash investigators to pin down the pilot's intentions since they occasionally take deliberate actions to obstruct recordings or other inquiries. Pilot suicide is therefore sometimes impossible to establish with absolute certainty. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if they're... The only thing that... If, if Especially if everyone happens to perish on the plane, the only thing you have to go by is the black box. That's it. Which, by the way, is orange, in case you guys didn't know that. Correct. The moon knew. Yeah. Um, which records everything. Yeah. That's if they get that back. But if he's not saying anything or giving any kind of, in, you know, inclinations of what's going to he or she, should I say. Right. If they're not giving any inclination to that, then how do you how do you know? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. was this an accident? And then they have to go and dissect everything and go, I don't know what happened. And then the guy goes, Man, maybe it was a suicide. And everyone goes, you're stupid. And, you know, and it's just, it becomes a big thing is yes. what I'm saying. And it yeah. looks bad on the flight company typically as well, too, if it is deemed as a suicide. So they try everything in their fucking power to yeah. say it's the fault of the aircraft company that made this plane, not the fault of our pilots. Right. So m- basically this episode is just going to be in addition to like, you know, the, you know, we want to scare the shit out of you or you never want to do anything. Yeah. We want you to stay at home and listen to us. Correct. Just stay home. Don't go to the doctor. Yeah. We heard how that turns out. Yes. Yeah. And now don't get on a plane. Yeah. Simple and, as that. Yeah. And not because of, oh, plane malfunction or gremlins. Caca. No. Caca. None of that. We're talking about wackadoodles that are behind that freaking yeah. humongous vessel. And you keep it up. We'll talk about buses and cars and taxis. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure you never go nowhere. I'm just going to sit down and be like, listen, you're going to die. <laughs> so unless there is strong evidence that the pilot was actually committing suicide, investig- investigators do, uh, do not actually classify aircraft events as suicide. This proof could come in the form of suicide notes, prior suicide attempts, suicide threats, or a history of mental illness. And, of course, we're talking about this because, you know, it's yeah. kind of my thing. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I like to talk about. I got it. You know what I mean? I deal with it. You know what I mean? Maybe not to that extent, <laughs> obviously. Eight deaths were determined to be suicides in a study of pilot suicides from 2002 to 2013 in five other cases of unclear causes may have been suicide. So we're looking at right around 13, right? Yeah. If my maths are good. Because remember, I don't do well at maths. No, but we did teach you something last time, though. You did. You yes. did. Tipping. Yes. Was that on the bonus? Yes, I think it was. that was on the bonus. That's like yeah. the only thing I remember from that. Because yeah. I was like, oh my God, I told my dad something. <laughs> yeah. You guys have got to listen if you want to learn something about tipping. Yeah. Okay. And no, it's not a city in China. Hey <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> ah, sorry. 
(laughs) (laughs) So to ascertain if the suicide was a terrorist act, investigators may also consult with terrorism experts and look for connections to extremist groups, which makes sense. Yeah, you know, eliminate all possibilities. Right, because you don't know. Right. And if you don't know, now you know. Baby, baby. (laughs) That's my my biggie. That's it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the majority of pilot suicides occur in small general aviation aircraft, okay? So it's not normally known for them to be in some big, like, commercial commercial airplane. Usually it's like one or two seaters occasionally. Right. Eight or 12 seater, but you never really see. Which is just so weird to me. Like, why would you? uh, I guess. I mean, maybe you own a plane and you got into a spiff with the wife and now you're flying your plane and or maybe you're just really sad at life because you have a really small plane i don't think i could be sad at life because he have a, a had a plane at all got, got little dick syndrome you know what a you know what a cub a, a cub i'm gonna say no okay. right now so there's a very 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 small plane that you can buy for fairly inexpensive and it's called a cub okay and i want to buy it okay. and it's like i don't know like 12 grand for the whole freaking thing and it, you can put growler tires on it, so it literally takes off within like 45 feet. It's a very tiny plane. It can only fit me. Fuck everybody else. I just want to fly. I'm going to say no to no? that. Yeah. I'm so, going to say you shouldn't do that. Oh, you, yeah. know what, you know what I'm going to do for you next week? You're not flying me anywhere. I'm going to do an entire episode on boats. No. <laughs> on, on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cruises. hate those even more. I don't even... I, flying doesn't bother me at all. It's just the fact that, uh, like, smaller ones, like, people die all the damn time in those. They're, like... Yeah. It happens quite a bit. It's a lot easier to uh, manipulate a failed plane than it is to manipulate a failed helicopter. So just keep that in mind. I will never fly in a helicopter. I... Okay. Never, because when the prop stops spinning, you're like when a the prop stops spinning, we're all gonna die. There's a new song. Right <laughs> I there. like that. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah, I don't. I don't mess with helicopters. Yeah, no. they just seem odd. I was in a one helicopter. Anything that can just go straight up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like come straight down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. there's no wings on that, so it's Mm-mm. you're just going down. <laughs> True. So a flying prohibition would have ordinarily resulted from the pilot using drugs, most frequently alcohol or antidepressants, in uh, around half of the cases. Now, if you guys have seen Sully mm-hmm. um, with Tom Hanks in it, oh, which is based on a true story where the guy actually... No, not... I was thinking Monsters Inc. <laughs> not Monsters Inc. But um, you about that story with the guy landing in, in uh, what is it? Uh, that river, right? Uh, what's it called? Hudson. Yeah. And with him landing it in there. He, I guess he was drinking and shit that morning. No shit. Or the night before, at least, and was all hung over and was like, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. I think that was the one. It was either that one or the one with Denzel. I, either, I can't remember. Kind of both the same, except one's fake. <laughs> I'm really bad at Really bad. Actually, I'm really good at this. I can't believe I don't know this, to be honest with you. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, so many of these pilots have a history of mental illness that they have tried to hide from authorities. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if you have mental illness, guess what? You're probably not flying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're probably not. As most people know, the strategy of war, where pilots will dive bomb their aircraft into land or sea-based vessels, has been around since World War II. So, yeah, we're not really going to talk about that too much. Just because, you know, the kamikazes. I feel like that's more of an act of war. Yeah. So that's why I didn't. I wanted to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. However, the first person credited with doing so was Russian aviator Nikolai Gostello. His last name's Gostello, and he's Russian? Yeah. What? At least he fought for the Russians. I mean, who knows? Well, I gotta say it better. Nikolai Gostello. <laughs> Is that better? Does it sound more Russian? Sounds a lot more Russian. Okay. Yeah. He was credit, uh, credited with the uh, very first takedown of a land-based vehicle with his aircraft. 
although his aircraft had been shot down and was in rapid, partially controllable descent, which this is later to be disputed. Yes. So they thought at first that he was just kind of going, but then they said he couldn't control it. They said that... So he just aimed it? He Yeah, basically he could aim it, but he wasn't going to be able to save himself. So he was like, well, I'm going to take somebody out with me if I'm going down. Yeah. So... Other notable incidents are, the, uh, of course, the kamikazes of the Empire of Japan during the Pacific Campaign of World War II. Yeah, that's when they first started popping off. Yeah, and they, if you think of, like, Pearl Harbor, they were they were throwing them down there. Yeah. Because my country says so. Yeah. I guess. I don't understand. I'm not doing it. No, I'm not. I mean, I love my country. Don't get me wrong. I love America. America? But don't you ask me to go running in and try and kill myself to... Well, I guess, see, now I think I stuck my foot in my mouth. Because yep. it depends on the situation. All right, shut up. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> I was just... So let's talk about <laughs> cases where pilots had actual suicidal thoughts or temptations of murder while piloting an aircraft. Yes, mm. that's right. It does happen. So next time you get on a, pl- a flight, just remember that. Ask your pilot, how are you doing today, bud? Exactly. Remember we talked about that. <laughs> you hey, doing okay, bud? You doing all right? Do you mind if I smell your breath? <laughs> What's your body count like? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What's your body count? And again, that's from Patreon. Sign up for Patreon. You sons of beautiful whatever. <laughs> so, all right. Malaysia Flight 370 here. All right. The disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, uh, 70, commonly known as the MH370 incident, occurred on March 8th, 2014, during a flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Sir, I actually remember this. Yeah? Yeah. Search efforts were conducted from the Indian Ocean west of Australia to Central Asia in response to the disappearance of the Boeing 777. That's a pretty big plane. Yes. Right? Not as big as the others, but it is a big plane. Right. So, now, is this a... You know more, obviously, yes. way more about this stuff. But is this one where it's like uh, two on one side, two on the other? Or is this a two, three, two as far as seats go? No, it should be two on two and two, two and two. So it's two here, yeah. two here. Yeah. Okay, so it's not as big. No, as like, the seven seven sevens are a lot smaller than like the seven thirty sevens, the seven twenty sevens, and like the seven five sevens. Those are usually your three seaters or your three two threes or whatever, or the two two sevens or what? I don't know. I'm just adding numbers. <laughs> you know, like you're throwing numbers, and I just figured I'd help out. Yeah, I don't know. Fucking fuck me, right? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it had two hundred twenty seven passengers and twelve staff members on board. All right, so we're looking at two hundred and thirty nine people. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah. Flight 370's disappearance is so puzzling that it has become one of the most well-known missing airplanes in history. Ooh. Mm. At 1.01 a.m. local time, Flight 370 had climbed to a cruising altitude of 10,700 meters. Okay, which is, uh, you know, for smart people know that one, but for the rest of us, it's 35,000 feet. Do you know why they go up that high? Uh, No. So when you're flying in an aircraft, for especially for like long travels and stuff, you want to go up a wind street, right? Yeah, well, kind of the wind street, but it's to avoid, uh, uh, like, uh, basically to avoid weather. You go up oh, there, yeah, there's above the no clouds. clouds. Yeah. yeah, so 35,000 feet gets you right above the troposphere, which allows you to be able to fly a little bit more, less ragged. So the only reason why you get turbulence is just because, like, the pressure, that's all. It's just pressure just kind of, like, blows in and out, blows in and out. So, like, when you're blowing on a balloon, if you think that you're flying inside that balloon, anytime that you let air out, it feels like you're dropping, but in reality, you're staying in the exact same space just because the pressure is coming in and coming out. So you're not really dropping out of the air. You're just moving so in the air. You'd say you'd be under pressure? Under pressure. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Anyway, so um, this was after departing at 1241 a.m. local time, and I did not know that. 
At 1.07 a.m., the Aircraft Communication Addressing and Reporting System, also known as ACARS, or uh, CARS, uh, uh, cars. <laughs> but the CARS, <laughs> which sent information regarding uh, the performance of the aircraft, issued its final transmission before being turned off. Oh, mm. crazy. At 1.21 a.m., just as the aircraft was about to cross into Vietnamese airspace over the South China Sea, the plane's transponder, which was transponding, mm-hmm. right? Is that an actual word? Transponster. <laughs> the transponster. You're a transponster. It's from Friends. Friends reference. That's what they asked. Um, they were doing the whole thing to see who got the uh, the apartment. And they were like, what does Chandler actually do oh, for a living? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, he's a, he's a trans, transpo- he's a transponster. <laughs> and that is not a real word no, at all. No, no, no. no. Anyway, so um, they, they, they the transponder on the plane, which connected with air traffic control, was turned off. Okay, at 1:19, the crew's last audio communication occurred. Military and civilian radar in Malaysia started following the aircraft at 1:30 a.m. as it circled, flew southwest over the Malay Pen- Peninsula, then headed northwest over the Strait of Malacca. Malacca. The plane lost contact with Malaysia military radar over the uh, uh-huh, Andaman. Yeah. Andaman. Andaman. Okay. C. <laughs> the Andaman C <laughs> at 2.22 a.m. Hourly signals from Flight 370 were picked up by an uh, MRSAT satellite in geostationary orbit over the Indian Ocean, which last located the aircraft at 8.11 uh, a.m. Okay. Dissect that. What does that mean? So, basically, when this flight took off at 12.41 a.m., it they had it on their radar, little, little blips. It was boom. Yes. Boom. On their little thingy. Boom. Until about 121. And then were the beeps? <laughs> and the creeps? <laughs> and the beeps? <laughs> Sorry, space balls. Anyway, that's all I think in my head when I think about it. <laughs> you that. think of the radar stuff? Yeah. So they... <laughs> it's raspberry! So the transponder works both ways. So the the, the, the the plane pings to them and vice versa so that way they know that there's anything nearby them so they don't hit something. So that's typically all aircraft transpond to the local station so that way they can kind of figure out if there's anybody who's going to cross their path and hopefully not get hit. Kind of okay. Thing. So, so it got turned off. So it got turned off. So he can still be seen on local radar, but he can't, he's not pinging his location to them and vice versa. So his communications to the tower stop, but their local radar can still pick up an, an object. They don't know if it's exactly that object, but they know in this last location, this is where this was at. But they probably knew that like it, from following it and whatnot, that they probably knew that that yeah. was in fact it. So then what happened is, is that uh, I'm, again, I'm assuming, cause I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground when it comes to this, but they're all of a sudden actual audio communication and their little pinging thing all turned off. And Correct. so now all they have is a visual of that, of that freaking big green thing right. in the sky or in the, you know, in, in the radar? Radar booth. Yeah. What's that called? The terminal? Ah. Yeah. Ah. yeah, that's pretty much it. So then this plane, where we're supposed to have been flying for you know only a couple hours, ended up going almost seven hours after where it was supposed to not have any more fuel for its flight. So. Oh, well, really? Yeah. So, it, all right. Yeah. All right. We talk more about that. Okay. Yeah. The South China Sea was the focus of the initial search efforts for the plane. Search operations were moved to the Strait of Malacca and the Anaman Sea when it was discovered that Flight 370 had veered to the west immediately after the transponder was turned off. Oh, like somebody maybe taking over the plane, maybe? Possibly. The plane had been missing for a week before the Emersat uh, contact was made public on March 15th. 
Although the plane's precise location could not be determined from the signal analysis, it was found that it might have been uh, been anywhere along two arcs, one extending from Java southward into the Indian Ocean, southwest of Australia, and the other northward through Asia from Vietnam to Turkmenistan. It's a pretty big-ass area, basically. Yeah, that's a lot. Where that plane could have landed or crashed or been shot down. Picked up by aliens. That's a good thing. Or it just went through one of those wormholes. You ever see that? Yeah. Ever see that show? Yeah. I don't remember. Lost? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. God, I love that show. Eh, last season. Eh. 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 On the southern arc, the search region was subsequently uh, widened to include the Indian Ocean, southwest of Australia, and on the northern arc, it was widened to include Southeast Asia, Western China, the Indian subcontinent, and Central Asia. That is a huge area. Yeah. Huge. Huge. It's huge. Listen, it's going to be the biggest thing in the entire world, okay? <laughs> okay. It's going to be you huge. Actually, you actually do that a little bit too. You know why? I don't like it. It's from China. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, where is it? Oh, wrong one. Damn it. <laughs> there it is. That was good. But yeah, that's that's big. So you're looking at uh, the flight crashed in a remote area of the Indian Ocean, 2,500 kilometers southwest of Australia, okay? So it's about 1,500 miles for mm-hmm. the rest of us dummies. According to um, Amersat and the UK Air Accidents Investigation Branch, or the AAIB, according to an uh, announcement made by Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Razak on March 24th. Therefore, the odds of anyone remaining on board were pretty slim. Uh, Yeah. Because you're talking, seriously, like 1,500 miles, 2,500 kilometers southwest of Australia. There's nothing down there. Nope. Other than southwest. I'm trying to think real quick. Yeah. So you're going down to what is that? That's the you're Antarctica, clo- in clo- in, encroaching on Antarctica. Yeah. Did you know, by the way, that Australia actually is the one of the only countries to claim rights to actually say they own part of Antarctica? I did not know that at all. I yeah. thought there was a, I thought there was a whole treaty thing. No one could claim Antarctica. No, but, no. And also, yeah. no one was allowed to be in Antarctica. I think there's like either four. It's either four or fourteen or twelve or six. Some number. There's a lot of other countries that also do the same thing. And there's actually been, um, what's his name, Steve Irwin. Yeah. From you know. Roy, the crocky guy. That guy <laughs> yeah. who unfortunately passed away. Yeah. He actually got in trouble from Australian's gov- or Australia's government for being down there and getting too close to a whale. Because you can't be too close to a whale. They were down there and that, that yeah, Arctic is up top, right? Yeah, Arctic. And, so and, Antarctic, yeah. Right. Without bears. Polar bears without bears. Yes. Right. Okay. So yes. Huh. They actually like he got in trouble for doing that. It's I weird. Know. I had no idea that Australia yeah, of all places would have like it, it, the thing is too, the funny part about it is that technically nobody else gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, sure, you own it. <laughs> you yeah. own it. Yeah, it's sure, fine. that's fine. Get out of here with your crazy ass fucking death land. That's where all the aliens are. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Australia knows where they are. Maybe that's where. Maybe that's why all the animals in Australia are crazy because they're testing them from the aliens over in Antarctica. Oh my God. I, I don't know. It made sense. I mean, because think they have so many different things. Anyway, moving on. Dude, they have so many things. So the crashes, uh, the crash site's remote position made it difficult to find wreckage, okay? So, I mean, it's literally out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Around 2,000 kilometers or 1,200 miles northwest of Perth, Western Australia, an Australian ship began to notice a number of acoustic pings that may have originated from the flight recorder or black box of the Boeing 777 on April 6th. So in other words, so this thing, when it goes down, it has its own, it's it's sealed. Yeah, it's sealed. It's usually sealed in the tail wing of the aircraft. Like, and it's still in the fuselage portion of things, but still, it's in the back. Basically, where you can't really get to it. 
Like it's and like, very hard to get to that box. And it's like super hard to open too, right? Very hard to open. Waterproof. And yeah, it's everything. literally everything proof besides fires, but um, that's yeah. Um But I heard they actually Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they actually make it through a lot of fires too. They do though. make it through a decent amount of fires. It's like if you crash into, you know, a volcano kind of thing, you're not gonna work. Yeah. Yeah. But they last a very long time after they crash, too, which is crazy. Like, the battery life on those things yeah. can last, like, six months. But yeah, my cell phone. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. We know you can do it. We know you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Anyway. <laughs> so the position, uh, the position of the acoustic pings, the last of which was received on April 8th, was confirmed by additional examination of the Amersat data by the AAIB, which discovered a partial signal from the plane at 8.19 a.m. Okay? Mm-hmm. We getting that? So they're the ones that actually heard that last one, right? Right. And then now they're like, okay, wait a minute. It's kind of honing on them. Yeah. So the flight recorder was probably nearing the end of its battery life if the signals were from Flight 370. A robotic submersible was used to perform more searches. Okay. So they got this little, you know, what's his name? James Cameron, little mobile. <laughs> and went looking for the Titanic. Except this time it was flight 370, right? Yeah. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. The submarine did not discover any debris, which is really odd if a big old plane went down. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. The pings were dispersed over a large region, and testing revealed that a defective wire in the acoustic apparatus could have caused the pings. So in other words, like... It went down, mm-hmm. and something inside maybe went kind of like my air conditioner did recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, may have may have fucked up, and maybe yeah, short circuited. Maybe a little. Listen, I'm spitballing things here, folks. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. So the right wing flapperon. <laughs> what is a flapperon? It's next to the phalanges. Regina Falange. Oh, that's two Friends references in one show. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to see how many I can get without forcing it. So the flap run is just basically it's a controlled surface on the wing itself. So you have your flaps and your ailerons. So your flaps are basically would give more surface area for your wings to attract lift. Oh, so it's the flaps. It's in between the flaps and the ailerons. There's a, a small so it, controlled surface. So it's the taint? <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's the grundle of the wing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's weird. That's a new coinage. Yeah, is, is it really sensitive? <laughs> if you tickle it, does the, the wing get twitchy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Cramping, stop. <laughs> oh, man. So, oh, sorry. So the right oh. wing flap around was recovered on a beach on the French island of, of Reunion, Reunion on July 29, 2015, nearly 3,700 kilometers west of the area of the Indian Ocean that was being searched by Australian officials. That's a far, far, far away from where this thing supposedly went down. Great. And with the fuel thing. Yeah. Driving me nuts. Okay. Twenty-six further pieces of wreckage were discovered over the course of the following uh, eighteen months off the coast of Tanzania, Mozambique, South Africa, Madagascar, and Mauritius. Of the twenty-seven fragments, three could definitely be attributed to Flight Three Seventy, and seventeen were assumed to have been from the aircraft. Okay, so you had definitely twenty-seven and seventeen. They were like eh, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Could be. Yeah. yeah. Two parts emerged from the plane's cabin, indicating that it had actually split in half or in twain. In twain. In twain. <laughs> but it is unclear whether it did so in the air or when it hit the water. Study of the right wing flap discovered in Tanzania and the Reunion wing flapperon revealed that the aircraft had not experienced a controlled descent, meaning it had not been led to a sea landing. Ooh. So 
means that pretty much it, it went deep, just yeah. straight down kind of thing. Some academics point out that Flight 370 may have collided vertically with the water. Oh, that's a boy. That's straight, up straight nose, nose dive. Yeah. Oh, you're that's no good. Yeah. But oh, well, hold on. I'm just thinking here. Mm-hmm. When you dive, mm-hmm. like diving people dive that people that like water, mm-hmm. you know, not me. Yeah. But when they do, you have to go straight down. Right. So is it possible that when this thing went straight into the water, it I, I don't know because of surface tension and stuff yeah. like that. It's obviously big, but it's also shaped like a, you know, like it's shaped like this. Yes. You know? So if it went in the water, is it possible maybe that's why they didn't find or discover any of the debris because it went so far under the water? There's a possibility. I mean. I don't know. I'm just like, or it probably could have just smashed into a million pieces if it hit the water. probably right? what actually happened because it's just air, it's just aluminum. So an aluminum going 600 miles an hour into a basically concrete yeah you, you guys feel mean? good about flying now <laughs> <laughs> oh Woo! there's more to come yeah, oh yeah we got a lot of show to go yeah a lot of show yeah so i don't know i just think and I, I don't know if that there has is any very aerody- large the aerodynamics of the plane if it actually you know would actually if you went straight down but then again like then you're gonna go too far down and then you just blah blah but if you can go up into this hold on mm-hmm. i'm on a tangent here sorry folks um if you can go up where there's no really no oxygen or the oxygen's very very thin, right? And obviously it's air air tight. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't it go into the ground straight and then you submerge and still be okay? You could, but imagine this. Okay, theoretically, obviously, You're I know this is flying. Let's say a plane that's going about I don't know 500 miles an hour, right? And it's going into that's fast, right? That's pretty fast. I mean, your car can only do what 120, 130, sure. 40. No. Grace's car can do about 140, okay, that's 150. Fine. That's fine. Damn it. <laughs> this thing can go five times that. Correct. And it's going straight towards water, which has no broken pieces in it to disrupt the surface tension. But has anyone ever tried it? Yeah. <laughs> have, have we? Have we? Has, I don't think anyone like, physically was like, you know what? I'm going to take that big old air like crane. straight down. And, and then just go straight. Yeah. And think. then all of a sudden you just hear. <laughs> No, all you're gonna hear is just you're gonna see just a. It's, it's gonna, gonna hear, crumple. You're just gonna hear a beer can. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. 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 I guess you're right. Like if it was a controlled descent, like what they were saying that you could have been like, with well, the, you can skip space. off the top of it. Well, yeah, you can skip off the top of it a little bit. Space so kind of land do is, it. On yeah, it. you're gonna land it on there, and then if it were to sink, yes. But unfortunately, you're breaking pieces. Water's gonna get in now, so now you're kind of fucked. In the middle of the ocean. So why don't they design them to be like submarines? So that way if something does happen like that, you aim for water and then you just go into the water and everybody's having fun. Too heavy. Now you have to make a bigger airplane to be able to, with a bigger wingspan to be able to have more lift. And then it's more fuel and more cost. And now you're talking of corporations. But we can go to the moon and the Mars and stuff. Yeah, but we pay them billions of dollars in taxpayers dollars to do that. Where these companies only get nickel and dimed from the local economy. Yeah, what is it? Uh, what, is, what is it? The... Uh, what is it paid by the lowest bidder? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Military yeah. grade, baby. Yeah, paid by the lowest. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. My, I just, I don't. I have so many questions. I'm sorry, and hopefully you guys do too. And if you have questions, please let us know. Hit us up at the Midnight Train Podcast at gmail.com or contact us on any of our social stuff. Tell yeah. us that we're stupid because we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Even though Logan seems like he's got this one in the bag. Today. I'm just making it up as I go along, baby. Oh, sweet. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was going to say, you're full of shit, too, huh? All right. My eyes are brown for a reason. Yeah, hey, You're welcome. Yeah. So um, some academics point out that Flight 370, it, again, had may have uh, collided vertically with the water. Right. Okay. Uh, which would account for the paucity of physical evidence. In other words, not much. Right. Evidence. The lack thereof. Right. Because it 
split off, according to the findings of a uh, modeling analysis carried out before the Flapperon's discovery. Okay, so this is what they're saying before that was actually discovered. Right. The locations of the wreckage helped to focus the search region in the Indian Ocean because some crash sites might not have produced debris that could have actually drifted to Africa. Right. Because of currents and stuff like that. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. In January of 2017, the governments of Malaysia, Australia, and China suspended the investigation into Flight 370. Up until May of 2017, when the Malaysian Transport Ministry stated it would stop the search, an American company, Ocean Infinity, had been given permission by the Malaysian government to carry out the search. The Malaysian government released its final report regarding Flight 370's disappearance in July 2018. The likelihood of a uh, mechanical malfunction was very low. And, quote, the change in flight route certainly occurred from an op from operator inputs. But the cause of Flight 370's disappearance remained a mystery. So, in other words, this wasn't a mechanical problem. Right. As far as they can tell. As far as they can tell with the way that everything was. I mean, if they can determine that the way that the plane landed, that's pretty good indication that, yeah, that there was an operator error kind of thing. Not a... Uh, uh, you know, a malfunction of the plane. My biggest thing is, and I'm still tripping on this part, is the, the whole fuel thing. If you only had so much fuel to go so far, how is it that you got further than what your fuel technically was supposed to take you? Right. And you a know lot what I mean? Of, That's weird. A lot of the, like, stip, like, the speculation on that is that there was obviously, like, kind of like an inside job kind of thing, or they touched down, refueled, and went somewhere else. But if that means they did that, then that means that it would have to be a private airfield that did that, or a secret government base, unload stuff so little insider tip um any money that the government likes to hand out from federal reserve to federal reserve Mm -hmm. it's all in the cargo of commercial aircraft yeah there's that one that comes out of uh, vegas that what is it the unknown plane no that's just people that are being transported and certain things. But nobody knows anything about that plane. It has no markings on it. It's allowed to fly, Mm -hmm. and it's, what the, we got to talk about that. It's a puddle jumper. It literally just goes from Nellis Air Force Base to an unknown location around the area of Area 51. That's all it is. It's a puddle jumper. So a puddle jumper just means that it's a smaller aircraft that is allowed to I know what that is. I've been on one. From, you know, yeah. I have an amazing story about that. Can I I say my story? Can I? Hopefully you guys are okay with this. So my wife and I, we went to... um, we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon. Hawaii. 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 Yeah. Honolulu. Listen, if we have any Hawaiian listeners or anyone that loves Hawaii over there, um, Honolulu, I'm sorry. That sucked. Yeah. It was just touristy. And you guys probably get it because you've been there before. Or if you live there, you know that it's just, it's like New York with freaking palm trees. (laughs) It's just too much. And water. Yeah. So anyway, so then uh, we we stayed there for like three or four days and then we're going to go over to um, uh, Maui. Uh, Maui, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you know better than I do. Thanks. So we were going over to Maui. I loved Maui. Maui yeah. was beautiful. It was like drizzly, but still warm, and it was just awesome. I loved it. Oh, there's a movie based off of it. Yeah, it's great. Not based off the island. No. Who are you talking about? The the the, the movie Maui or Moana? That's Moana. Uh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so anyway, we had to take this little, um, little, you know, so it's like a 12-hour flight to get there. Right. And, you know, so we get there, and then we're in, you know, Honolulu or whatever, and, uh, you know, Waikiki, all that stuff. And then it's like, okay, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And we did all the touristy stuff, all the pig roasts and everything else, and it was cool. But yeah. then, like, I just wanted to just chill. I like doing the I like doing the local stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. Like when we went to Ireland, man, my favorite part was going to hang out with like our friends' family when we were over there as right. opposed to like, let's go to Dublin. You yeah, know? Right. Don't get me wrong, it was fun. But anyway, so 
we get on this little plane, mm-hmm. little 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 uh, a, pu- a puddle jumper, mm-hmm. little skipper thing, little skipper. And the the flight was supposed to take uh, forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Fifteen up, fifteen in the air, fifteen down. Right, right. Okay. Um, I think it held like maybe thirty people. Okay. I itty bitty. Right. Mm-hmm. My wife is not a very good flyer. Mm-hmm. So we're just sitting there and, you know, I mean, this thing was like so tiny that like there was like, you know, two seats, two seats, and then they could barely fit the cart down the middle of it. Yeah. Very small. So we're going and she's freaking out because this thing's like, you know, really small. Right. And then we're like, drinks now, drinks now, you know, please, my wife, please, you know, (laughs) sedate her now. So anyway, um, she looks over and she sees what appears to be smoke coming from the floorboard of the plane. Oh, shit. (laughs) And <laughs> and she's looking at me and grabbing my arm like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I'm like, it can't be smoke because it'd be filling up the cabin, right? You know. And I'm like, I don't smell smoke. No one else is freaking out. Like I I don't I don't know what that is, but I don't think that maybe it's steam of some sort or whatever. And um, you know, it turns out that we were going through the clouds and stuff, and yeah. they actually it's some of it comes through. Because you're only going up and you're in the clouds and yeah, you come back you're down. Not in a pressurized cabin. Yeah, so it's not pressurized. Come in and out. Right. Well, she didn't know that. <laughs> so there's a, a person sitting next to us across the aisle, and my wife like points it out to her, and this lady just looks and goes, "Oh no, that can't be good." And I'm like, "Come on, man! <laughs> like, why would you say that?" So anyway, she's freaking out. We finally land before we stopped. She was up and in the front of the plane. Oh, shit. <laughs> pushing everyone out of the way. Left me behind to burn. If that oh. fucker was going, if that thing was exploding, I was gone. <laughs> She'd be all right. She, she, was, she, she was gone. <laughs> I'm just like, thanks, baby. Yeah, and that's what it turned out to be. Anyways, it was just a funny little story, whatever. So, <laughs> anyway, so theories about what happened to Aircraft 370 in the weeks after it vanished cover uh, everything from the technical failure to pilot suicide. Although continuous rumors of a hijacking arose as a result of the loss of the ACARS and transponder signals, no one or organization actually claimed credit for it. Because usually that'll happen. Right. If something's shot down, it'll be like, yes, that was us. You were in the wrong airspace, like, you know, or this is an act of terrorism, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. Kind of hoping for that be happening here soon. <clears throat> oh, what? With Pelosi and going to. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Come now. Fingers crossed. But anyway. Yeah. There's a bunch of. Oh, I know. Like China is like getting a little. I'm a little nervous. I'm getting a little nervous, especially for Taiwan. Did you see that Taiwan? Because is? they are they. We're on their charts. Yeah. Did you see that <laughs> Taiwan? Take them away. Is doing. Uh, uh, um, they're trying to get their like civilization or like the civilians or whatever uh, prepared for an invasion. They've been doing that for the last like three months. I did hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I also heard that we suspended any of our nuclear testing because we didn't want to like freak anybody out. Like, hey, that's good. Why are we still doing nuclear testing? I don't know. We, we know how they work. They go boom. Maybe it wasn't nuclear. Maybe it was just missile testing. Whatever. Regardless. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. What, 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 whatever. We know how they work. So anyway, they're not sure what happened, but nobody's taking any kind of credit for this. They're, they they don't think it was a mechanical thing. Uh, it also appeared doubtful that hijackers would have flown uh, the aircraft to the southern Indian Ocean. Yeah, like, what would be the point? Uh, Unless they stopped off, like you said. That's where a lot of, like, speculation comes in that they stopped off. Because when you look, immediately after, like, 38 minutes of the flight, it immediately went west and then went south. So, obviously, if you're going to go west, there's got to be something there, like, around the Kazakhstan area or South India or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you can land there, fuel up, and go and do what you got to do. And then one person flies a plane and just disappears. 
Every time you say go west, I just think of the, uh, you know, the king of wishful thinking. I am the king of wishful. That's, the band's go west. Is and that I, really the name of the band? Yes. And I absolutely, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, yeah. I am such a dork. Anyway. It is a good song. Every time you say that. Yeah. And uh, uh, who is it that uh, did a cover of that? Uh, the punk band that I love, too. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Junk damn funny. it. Damn, no. Damn it. <laughs> Jonathan, get on your shit. So anyway, hijackers probably didn't do this because what would be the point? Again, unless they stopped off. Like I said, there could have been precious cargo aboard that they thought was there and dropped off and dropped everybody else off and people were just... Yeah. Yeah. So no suspicious activity was discovered in the behavior of the captain, the first officer, the first officer or cabin crew prior to the flight, but the likelihood that the signals had been turned off from inside the aircraft suggested that one of the crew members had committed suicide, a possibility that Malaysian authorities have not ruled out yet. Some people believe that Flight 370 was shot down once the debris was found. However, there's no proof of missile shrapnel. Right. But there's also no proof of in the Pentagon. Anyway, so... um. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. So yeah, so we don't know. We, we don't. We, we don't. We know. don't know. But it's it's kind of man. There's a lot of and there's the a lack lot of of, of information on that one. Yeah. Like yes, it could have been suicide where someone just like, and who knows? Maybe somebody was a part of some regime. But yeah. then why didn't anybody take any credit for that? Because normally that's what they do. Typically, there's other stuff that can be found from wreckages like that, like body parts, luggage. Yeah, they haven't found any they bodies on that, have they? They didn't find anything but debris from a plane that resembled that of the 777. So one person could have easily flown that aircraft and jumped out and to hide stuff. Just saying. What the fuck? Way to start this one off. Holy yeah. shit. You're welcome. And it just... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Seriously, that one's just... It's mind-bottling. Yes, <laughs> mind-bottling. Mind-bottling. All right, so moving on to Egypt Air 990. Um, uh, first of all, hold on, before we get, uh, go on any further, if you guys have any you know thoughts, uh, we definitely want to hear it. Let us know what you think about yeah. the, the Malaysian flight. It was, a, it was a huge-ass thing for a while now yeah. because that was like when we were still in like the Middle East. and I remember that and entire thing. Yeah, I remember I, the first thing I thought was that it was shot down from somebody. Yep. So. So early on October 31st, 1999, Egypt Air Flight 990, an Egypt Air uh, jet airliner, crashed into the Atlantic Ocean about 60 miles or 100 kilometers south of Nantucket, Massachusetts. Pretty damn close. Huh? That's pretty damn close. What is? Close to Nantucket, man. Like that's, that's oh, I thought close. you meant like Nantucket was close to us. I'm no, like, I'm just saying like, in general. <laughs> I was like, what? It's an Egypt Air Flight coming in. It's like, that's pretty damn close. Yeah. I mean, 60 miles. Yeah. Mm. The 270 passengers, 17 passengers on board actually perished, unfortunately. The co-pilot's actions, according to the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, caused the crash. However, mechanical failure was given the blame by Egyptian authorities. Of course it was. Sweep that under the rug, buddy. <laughs> Flight 990 left from Los Angeles and stopped in New York City before continuing on to Cairo. The Boeing 767336 with the tail number SUGAP, was an extended-range aircraft with two crews for the 10-hour transatlantic journey. Now, that's a big plane. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Mm. I mean, you got two crews, because <clears throat> that's what we had on our flight from uh, Ireland. Yeah. Actually saw our... I don't want to say stewardesses. What are they called? Flight attendants. Yes. I saw our flight attendants going and actually, like, taking a nap. Yeah. They turn off all the lights and everything, and they're like, yeah, we're going to go take a nap now, because, you know... I'm like... 
wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean you're taking a nap? Yeah, those long flights are cool. That's what I wanted to be was an international pilot. I wanted to fly 747s. 747s are the like the three-story aircraft where you literally have like your your first class or literally up in the roof of the plane. Then you have your regular, like, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then you have your, like, entry-level class. Yeah. Ooh, entry-level class. Yeah. Sorry, we're not good enough for you. <laughs> it's, it's better than saying whatever the hell they call them. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom dwellers. Yes. So at around 1.30 a.m., it took flight from John F. Kennedy International Airport. The aircraft leveled out as is uh, at its designated height of 33,000 feet in less than 25 minutes. Okay. Which is about 10,000 meters. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Is it? No, and on average, going up from zero elevation to thirty-three thousand feet in twenty-five minutes—it's pretty, pretty quick. You're impressed, aren't you? A little bit. You Don't act it. like you're not impressed. You got it up pretty quick. <laughs> Hey-o. Hey. However, at around one fifty a.m., it started to swiftly plummet at a forty-degree angle, reaching an altitude of roughly sixteen thousand feet. It was traveling much faster than a Boeing seven-six-seven is capable of safely during uh, doing during the dive, which is crazy. Yes. Getting close to the speed of sound. So speed of sound is like 720 miles an hour. Those planes are rated for like five to 600 miles an hour. So the stress on that plane oh, is yeah. going to rip to shreds. Yeah, air resistance is a bitch. But it also means that it's just, it's 40 degree angle. You're you're going like for real. Yeah. You're yeah. not dive bombing in a sense, right. but you're still dropping. You're going fast enough. More than an uncomfortable pace. Yeah. After stopping its drop in less than a minute, the aircraft altered course and regained height, climbing to a height of around 25,000 feet. Weird. 16,000 feet in less than a minute. Your stomach is in your fucking throat. You were literally in zero gravity for yeah. about two seconds. Your there. butthole, you, you you tasted your own ass on that. That's what happened. Not the tasting the ass part, but I kind of want to do that. Ow. <laughs> Just... I've, yeah, dude, there's an actual like you can I pay know. money to go and do that. I would love to do that. It's where they do like the real zero zero uh, the, the yeah, gravity thing where they go straight up and then they just instantly go straight down. And you have zero gravity for a second. Yeah, dude, that'd be I'm so good. fun. I think it's only for like what twenty seconds or something like that. You yeah, have it's the zero not that gravity. long, and it's not that expensive of a flight either. But one, it's like one of my favorite aircraft, which is a C one thirty, which is amazing. That's what Hercules pop uh uh uh, uh fuck puff the magic dragon. You ever heard of that? The show from the sixties, kind of, but they made the. So, anyways, there's a 110 millimeter fucking cannon on this fucking plane called Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh boy! Yeah, that's a that's one that goes. <laughs> is it the one that does that? No, that's the one that goes. Boom! Oh, it's a hundred and oh, so it's not like millimeter. a a gatter. No, it's a oh. it's a legitimate artillery shell that comes out of this thing. Why? Air support. Oh, <laughs> is that what it is? That's what it is. <laughs> oh boy. So anyway, this thing was dropping fast, and then it leveled out and actually went back up. The aircraft then started its deadly descent before losing its left engine and plummeting into the water. 203 passengers and 14 crew members died along with everyone else on board. Many Egyptian military commanders returning from a training exercise in the United States were among the passengers. Some, at first, they believed that the flight had been targeted by Egypt's opponents due to their presence. So in other words, people that didn't like Egypt. Which I feel like is everybody. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know anything about their. They're hiding stuff. something in Egypt. That's why everyone doesn't like them. Under the pyramids. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I saw a video or a picture of the uh, the Sphinx in 1867 that was taken in a hot air balloon, and there's a big ass hole in the top of it that isn't there today. And there's a lot of conspiracies behind that. We filled that hole because we took something very important out of it. No, it was a bong. 
<laughs> That's a fat ass rip, yeah, bro. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's just a bong. It's, it's fine. A bong for giants. Yeah. No, everyone just got in. The whole community got together and all puffed at once. They just hot boxed. Yeah. Now that's Puff the Magic Dragon. You know what I'm saying? Get, get out of here. <laughs> so Egypt has the uh, the right to look into the incident according to international aviation agreements because it's their plane. Right. Right. But it originally deferred to the American NTSB. Yeah, I mean, you're fucking 60 miles off the coast of the yeah. U.S. You're, you're, you're in our airspace. So, yeah. yeah. More than 70% of the aircraft was found in water that was 70 meters deep. 230 feet. Okay, right. which is not very deep. I mean, it's deep, but it's it not is. like... Gamil, oh boy, Gamil Al Batuti, whose last name is also spelled El Batuti, <laughs> okay, took over the co-pilot seat only 22 minutes after departure. Oh, I see what they're saying. There's some sketchiness going on with him. All right, according to his own request, according to the cockpit uh, voice recorder, so he actually took over the co-pilot seat 22 minutes after departure. So he's, but why would they let him do it? Anyway, the autopilot was turned off, and the jet started its first descent as the captain left the cockpit to use the, the bathroom. He's like, all right, dude, you want in, man? Go ahead. Tag your rip. Cool. He's like, I got, got to piss anyway. I'm drunk as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been drinking since 9 o'clock this morning. Since the dive happened so quickly, the aircraft had a sense of weightlessness. Okay, we, we were just talking about the captain was able to get back into the control room and inquired, what's going on? What's going on? I trust in God. And Al-Batuti was heard saying repeatedly in Arabic. Okay. So that is the, the guy that took over the the, uh, the co-pilot seat. Right. He was saying, I trust in God. Like, or it was, he was saying Allah, but yeah, that was a translation that right. we got off of that. So. so, I mean, not good. Or he was, you know. Scared? Lost control and was like, I, uh, Allah believe in me, Allah believe in me kind of thing. Like, I help me pull this thing up kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it, it could have gone both ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So the left and right elevators, which are hinged panels in an, uh, an airplane's tail that control ascent and dis, uh, descent. Yeah, it's on the, like the rudder, basically, the back end of the aircraft. Okay. It began to be set in opposing directions as the rate of descent decreased. Oh, my God. So it started so spinning? Basically, one was going up, one was going down. So it would just start. <laughs> oh, no. But in a big-ass aircraft, you're kind That's, of going a little bit slower. Yeah. Than that, but, yeah, it's scary. For ascending on the left, the captain's side, and for de- uh, descent on the right, the co-pilots, okay? So that's, yeah, so this side and that side. So it's kind of doing one of these things. Yeah. It's fighting, they're fighting each other. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Which can rip it off and make things even harder. About 15 seconds after the engines were turned off, the electrical system failed and the flight data recorder stopped working. The NTSB blames Batuti for the incident. Okay. Mm. So they think that the guy did that. The NTSB conclusions were not well received in Egypt, where Egypt Air served as the national um, airline and flag carrier. After conducting its own investigation and producing a report, the Egyptian Civilian Aviation Authority ruled out the likelihood that Al-Batuti was to blame for the accident. The Egyptians discovered that the issue was caused by sheared rivets in the elevator control mechanism and that everyone in the cockpit uh, cooperated to restore control up until the moment the aircraft collided into the water. That's what... Egypt is saying so. So, but everywhere else is like, no, nah, man. He he dropped that plane on purpose. Like, yeah. When a lot of the other organizations are like, no, that's a, that's definitely a suicide kind of thing. And Egypt's like, no. Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> Stop it. It's a fault in the aircraft. It's not a bong. Quit talking. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah that that one was weird. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, still, like you're you're you've got what two hundred and thirty some people on there. Oh, that just so sad. Lost their life. Yeah, the whole with that one, the whole. And again, you're, you're right. It could be he's freaking out. Oh my god, please help me. Please help me. Oh my right. god, in his language, obviously right. in Arabic. Um, you know, but he's saying, "Oh my god, please help me." Or is he saying, like, you know? God, believe in me. God, believe in me. I'm doing this because, you know, I I mean, and who knows if he's, there's a lot of those countries that believe uh, that, and and I don't even want to say unfortunately, but there there are some countries and some religions, should I say, that believe that they die for their beliefs and through war and stuff like that, that they, you know. Yeah, it's an honorable death. Yeah. It's, what is it? Is it 70 virgins or 700 virgins or something like that? I think it's like 77 virgins or something like that. Didn't they find out that that's actually raisins, not virgins? I don't know. Okay, moving on, moving on. Sorry. <laughs> sorry if I'm insulting anyone. I don't mean to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Never heard of that. Yeah, I'm not right. trying to insult anybody. I'm sorry. Please don't come to my house. Anyway. All right, so now there's German Wings 9525. When mm. Jean she- uh, Sebastian Beaud, right? I feel like it's, Or is it Boud? Beaud. Beaud. It's Beaud. Beaud. No, look at my mouth. Beaud. Bood. Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so John Sebastian Bood ascended a, a steep mountaintop in the French Alps using a rope slung from a helicopter. He had no idea what he would actually discover. 20 minutes earlier in an air traffic control center in Lyon called Bood. Uh, wait, what? An air traffic control center in Lyon called Bood. Okay, called him up. And three other members of the, uh, uh, oh boy, gendarmeries. Gendarmerie. The mountain rescue squad to inform them that a jet had actually vanished from the radar over the massive, um, the Massif des Trois Évêques. You gotta say it with your French accent. Oh, I have to do this now! Yeah. Massif des Trois Évêques. Yeah, very good. I do not know if that's correct. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to walk away now. A group of 9,000 foot peaks northwest of Nice. Okay, that, that's pretty good sized. Yeah. On Tuesday, March 24th, 2015, at 11, uh, 11.10 a.m., Bood was now carefully placed on the rock face after being lowered from the four-seat helicopter. He was surrounded by debris that was strewn across the slope. Little flames that soared in the air and the smell of jet fuel. So, in other words, this this jet went down, and he he and his team were called in to go check it out. Let's go check it out see what's going right. on. Right. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. All right. In the Massif des trois Efekes. 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 Shit. <laughs> we'll come back to it later, maybe. So, Bood, in an uh, uh, early 30s, tall, and like in his 30s, okay, fit. He was fit. You know, he had a, a faint mustache. Oh, <laughs> a faint mustache and a goatee. <laughs> oh, he is French, is he not? Yes. yes. He's he like a, the French Sylvester Stallone. Right. He has a cigarette in one hand, and he says, let's go check this shit out. Let's go ice climbing. Yes. Oh, there's gasoline. Who cares? My life is a ball of fire anyway. <laughs> so anyway, he made his way along the field of black s- smoke and craziness there while mentally listing the objects he can actually see, including mm-hmm, a human torso, shoes, bags, seats, pieces of uh, the fuselage, and everywhere, like just hands and feet. So there was just body parts, human debris everywhere. Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm. He knew at a distance that an airplane had hit the mountain at high speed and uh, was completely just obliterated, gone. He activated his radio and sent the following message to the headquarters. Quote, there can't possibly be any survivors. He was agitated. 
Uh, or he was agitated, but uh, he was concentrated on the work at hand. Okay, so he was he was he was aggravated by it because he's he can't see. He can't see anything, and, and he's just seeing body parts. Right. Everywhere. So you know nobody's there. Yeah. So anyway, he said there can't possibly be any survivors. All right. So later, Bood noticed the plane's registration plate and noticed it was in German. Oh, mm. the Germans are on the French land, huh? I don't know about this. It's very odd. I don't know which accent to do at this time. (laughs) (laughs) He ascended a gully to the anticipated point of collision after crossing a slope. Every time he came upon a piece of human being, you know, parts, including horrifyingly a uh, a few scattered uh, faces that had peeled off skulls, Mm -hmm, just like masks. Yeah, that's fun. He planted a small colored peg in the ground since he was told not to touch any evidence. So basically, uh, I found a face. I found another face. I found a... What the fuck is this? <laughs> I think that's a face. Is this... Is that the face? <laughs> you know, I basically... Is that what happened? I don't know. I wasn't there. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. So after landing on the mountaintop for 25 minutes, he saw a rectangular orange object roughly the size of a shoebox. Oh, is this the black box? It's probably the black box. But it's orange. 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 I'm sorry. Are you saying Pam? <laughs> Orange. Orange. He bent down and he was shocked to see the cockpit voice recorder. So he found it. He found the black box. Yeah. Dented but yet functional. Okay. He explained, um, you know, to uh, you know, on one recent morning, his first trip back in nearly nine months, that, quote, so often you hear about them searching for the box for three or four days, and this was recovered in less than half an hour. It was a bit of luck. Yeah, and like we said, you know, if you even get them back, there's a lot of times they're not functional. Right. You know, like you're getting nothing out of it, you know, or if you can even find the damn thing. And because it's not big. No, it's really not that big. It's like you said, the size Size of a shoebox. Yeah. Yeah. And it's supposed to send out an electronic ping for up to, I want to say it's like 30 days after the the crash, but I know some of them have lasted longer than that. But yeah, the battery life on those don't last very long. And when the battery goes out, all you can do is just look at this scribbles and scratches on the recorder itself you really can't look at anything more than that so it doesn't like so it, there's okay. a there's a there it's are gotta sto- be a hard drive there's some storage right? devices that are on there but unfortunately it's electronic those can be corrupted with accidents and stuff like that so you or can, if i go near it <laughs> yes. yeah, sorry <laughs> oh there it is the black box don't touch that why because you suck <laughs> i'm sorry i'm gonna go back <laughs> So a team of forensic experts flew the device to Marseille and then to Paris after Boud radioed his colleagues to report what he had actually found. Boud even spent a night camping amid the destruction as he and others remained at the scene for the following several days looking for clues in the debris. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you're actually going to camp up there Ugh, with all sure. the bodies. But the nice thing is though that doing so, in case there is a survivor that happened to be around, you would hope or maybe unconscious at the time or something. You'd actually be able to hear them if they were to come to or yeah. was looking for help. Like that was it was smart for I get it that. But you yeah. just have to have a very tough constitution to be able to deal with that. You know what I mean? Like oh, you're going, is. yeah, you're going to a place where there's nothing but just human remains laying everywhere. Yeah, it's a little, you know. Yes, I mean I could probably do it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I say that because I'm full of shit, but anyway. (laughs) So he considered the passengers and their final moments of anguish as he lay in a tent in the pitch black solitude. 
It was difficult to go to sleep because he could, quote, imagine what they went through. Yeah, being there with that, that's that's creepy. That's, that's, yeah. 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 <laughs> and you look out and see all the pegs you put out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot. Yeah. So on the mountain, however, the puzzle of what brought down Flight 9525 would remain unsolved. French authorities would examine the voice recorder and find the seemingly incomprehensible reality behind the tragedy within 36 hours of Bood's discovery. The boarding procedure for Flight 9525 was started by the German Wings Gate. That's the, the plane company. Yeah. What do we call that? What's the plane company called? German Wings? No, the plane. What do they call it? Never mind. <laughs> anyway, from their gate, the employees at Barcelona's El Prat Airport's Terminal 2, two hours before Bood, was hoisted onto that mountainside. So just two hours prior one of the first 144 passengers to board was martin matthews a 50 year old engineer with the german auto parts juggernaut hoof who took a seat at the front of the aircraft matthews a lover of soccer uh uh, a hiker and a father of two grown children was traveling from wolverhampton a city in the british midlands to his wife of 25 years in dusseldorf through dusseldorf okay along with her partner Insurance salesman uh, Sasha Shank and their young son Felix, Maria Radner, a well-known opera singer, sat in row 19 after just finishing a performance of Richard Wagner's Siegfried in Barcelona. Exhausted from a week-long exchange program, 16 high school students and two teachers from the German town of Haltern am See occupied the back rows of the whole trip. Leah Drupel, a kind, uh, a, a, a sweet 15-year-old who aspired to be a uh, professional musician and stage performer, and her best friend and next-door neighbor, Kaja Westerman, who was also 15, were among the children on the plane. Uh, yeah. Heart-a-breaking. Which, crazy thing, side note, this is, like, one of the only flights I was able to find extensive research on. Like, extensive. Yeah, but, and you know what? I actually like bringing the, the names of people. Yeah. Out because it, they need to be, their names need to be, you have to, what is it from Coco? Talk about people. And they stay around. And that's right. Remember and talk about them, man. We have to keep talking about the victims. Even if it's a horrible situation with a serial killer, you don't talk about that fucking asshole that did it. Right. Talk about those victims because, unfortunately, they're not here to do it themselves. Right. So we do it for them. Right? Exactly. Agreed. Sorry. Sorry, step off my soapbox. <laughs> so that's just crazy to me that, that, seriously, like, it was two hours, and then, you know, uh, I'm still basking in that. So 26 minutes after its uh, scheduled departure um, of uh, 935, the Airbus waited at the gate before taxiing to the runway and taking off, right. rising over the city and slowly banking into the Mediterranean Sea. Captain Patrick Sondenheimer, an experienced pilot with 6,000 hours in the air. That's a lot. I only have 500. But you're not a pilot. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's a lot. He apologized from the cockpit and said he would make an effort to make up the lost time and route. So they're running a little bit behind. Right. And he's like... This is your uh, captain speaking. Uh, sorry about the uh, the delay here. We're gonna uh, you know get up to a nice cruising altitude, and uh, we promise that we'll uh, make up a little bit of that time for you there. And uh, yeah, uh, maybe make sure you know the the, the, the flight attendant is going to be walking around with uh, you know the the cart here. But once we get to cruising altitude, uh, we'll be good. Right? That was fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was actually on an airplane. <laughs> it's how it sounds every time. Every time you're in there. Except you forgot what? the giggities. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I can't even do it. <laughs> this is your cat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. 
<laughs> so anyway, he apologized because you know he wanted to make up some time because obviously it's running late and he wants to get home or get to where he's going just like everyone else does too. Okay, right. and a lot of people don't think about that. Remember, when you get on a plane, make friends with your pilot. How's your day going? Yeah, how's your day? Want a beer? Just kidding. <laughs> So he told his co-pilot, Andreas Lubitz, that he had forgotten to use the restroom before boarding. Okay. Go whenever you like, Lubitz told him. You know, hey, go whenever you need to, man. It was only a two-hour flight, so Sondenheimer instructed Lubitz to uh, to start landing preparations at uh, 1027. And the uh, Airbus had reached its cruising altitude of 38,000 feet. It was only a two-hour flight? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And Airbus (laughs) is just a different type of plane. Right. You have a Boeing 7... Seven 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 thirty seven. It's yellow and it's got wheels, and the wipers go up and down, up and down. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. I have no idea what's happening. So anyway, this included uh, checking the fuel levels, making sure the flaps and landing gear were functioning, and checking the most recent airport and weather information. Of course, this is what he's going to do before we get you know starting to land and all this shit. Huge ass checklist, like right. one hundred seventeen different things you have to do. Right. So the reply from Lubitz was mysterious. Um, he, he's, uh, I'm hoping, he said, let's see, Sondenheimer, uh, Sondenheimer may have noticed his, uh, you know, his co-pilot's uh, vocabulary, but he made no comment in response. So it, it is kind of weird that he just said that, right? right? I'm hoping, let's see. Sorry, I just, I wrote that so fucking weird. I didn't even realize co-peculiar pilot's yeah, vocabulary. I got you. I got you. All right. His I was drunk at work. Co-peculiar pilot. <laughs> I was drunk at work when I wrote this. <laughs> So, so basically, what he's saying wow. is, is that his what he's saying, he didn't really like. like he didn't like pay the, attention to it. Right. It was weird, it but was he was weird, like, yeah, but, whatever. Yeah. But he, you know, again, made no comment about it. So Sondenheimer slid into the bathroom, like Dan 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 slid. Like no, it was you know, more like you know, Panther, like Dan 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 Dan. That's not a slide. That's a slide right there. Oh, jeez. He had to creep up to it so he could slide. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he went to the bathroom after opening the cockpit door and closing it behind him a minute later. This was at 10.30. Okay? So they're going to be landing soon. He's trying to get his whiz out real fast, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So he's trying to, you know, I can only imagine. Right. You know. So Andy, as his family called Andreas Gunther Lubitz, had always dreamed of taking to the skies. He was raised in Montebur, a uh, thriving town of 12,000 people in the southwest German hills, halfway between Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. He was the firstborn child of banker Gunther Lubitz and his wife Ursula, a piano teacher and church organist. He had a crew, um, a crew cut. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> so a crew cut and a beautiful smile. Lubitz, who had a burning desire to be a pilot since he was a young boy, covered his bedroom walls with posters from uh, Lufthansa, Airbus, and Boeing. Additionally, he developed his glider flying skills by spending numerous weekends at a flying club in Montebor. On the back of his high school yearbook, Lufthansa had printed an advertisement that read, Do you want to make your dream of flying a reality? Well, yes, according to Lubitz, a well-behaved pupil who was named um, third most orderly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What? He wasn't, wasn't. Can you imagine if that's your graduating class and your, your, graduate, uh, your graduation picture is, and it's like, you know, everyone else is like, most likely to succeed. Coolest guy at school. Funniest. Third most orderly. <laughs> I'd be pissed. I'd be like, dude, take that out of there. <laughs> so this was in 2007. So after graduating from high school, he went to the company's flying academy and was one of the 5% of applicants who were accepted in 2008. So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, obviously knows what he's doing. Right. 
In September of that year, Lubitz joined 200 ap- applicants of the Lufthansa Flight Training Pilot School in uh, Bremen, northern Germany, where students spent a year studying aviation theory, excuse, theory, sorry, of aviation, before applying it in flight training in Arizona. In Arizona, like Arizona? Mm-hmm. So they do that in Germany, and then they come over here? Yeah, there's a lot of schools that do that. Like, they just do, like, because there's more open area for them to fly, and there's something going to happen, area to crash. Where in Germany, you don't really have that much area. That's crazy. Germany's like the size of Ohio. So Yeah, that's awesome. But he left the program in November after only a few months and went back home. Weird. Mm. Two months later, Lubitz was given, uh, quote, a deep depressive episode diagnosis by a Montebourg psychiatrist who also prescribed him Cyprolex and Mametrazipine, mm, two potent antidepressants, along with extensive psychotherapy. Yeah, probably shouldn't be flying. I would agree with that. Just going to say. Yeah. The move to Bremen and the subsequent separation from his parents and younger brother were described as, quote, change, uh, changed living conditions by the psychiatrist whose identity is protected under German privacy law. And I, I do love that, by the way. Yeah. Our, our privacy laws suck. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Investigators would learn from Lewitt's uh, family that he had grown to have an uh, unfounded fear of failure in his new setting. According to case papers created by a prosecutor uh, and a prosecutor in Dusseldorf, the breakdown was accompanied by uh, tinnitus, a symptom that was uh, frequently connected to depression and involves a near constant ringing in the ears. I did not. What? Yeah. I mean, if, you can get tinnitus from depression and vice versa. Yeah. What? Yeah. If you have constantly a freaking ring in your ear, you feel like, wow, I can't enjoy things the way they used to be and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, it can cause stuff like that. It's very odd. I mean, a lot of it comes from like, things you're doing to procure tinnitus while you're depressed. Dicks in your ears. <laughs> Not what I was going to say, but... No? Probably. No? Yeah. I mean, that would give you tinnitus, right? I don't know if I want to okay. know any more about that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so Lubitz was under the, psychi- uh, the psychiatrist's care for nine months. That's a pretty long stay to be under, you know what I mean? Yeah. The doctor recommended in a letter to German um, aviation officials that Lubitz be permitted to resume his training in Bremen in July 2009, only six months into the course of treatment, after stating that, quote, a considerable remission had been obtained with the medications. Uh, quote, patient alert and mentally fully oriented with no retentivity. Retentivity. Thank you. Or memory disorders. Okay, so Mr. Lubitz has fully recovered. Nothing is left behind. The course of treatment is complete. Nevertheless, the doctor kept treating Lubitz and giving him strong medications. Through October, three months after telling the authorities that Lubitz was totally recovered. You guys see where we're going with this shit. Yeah. You got it? Ketchup, mustard. You know where we're going, right? I don't like mustard. I I do like mustard. I like mustard, actually. Yeah, I, I like mustard. Not a lot of it. Yeah. Usually like a brown mustard's good. See, I'm more of like a honey Dijon. Stadium. Yeah, stadium, stadium mustard's good. not bad. Stadium. Stadium. A, a nice, nice, little, nice dog. Yeah, a little pungent dog. Get myself yeah. a nice dog. You know yeah. what I mean? A put little, a little, little sauerkraut on top. Oh, oh, I like sauerkraut. Oh, yeah. That's good. I like that oh, one, too. Yeah. I like a little bit of chili. Oh, yeah, a little chili. A little, a little chili. A little chili cheese on top. A little relish. Oh, yeah. A little relish. What are you talking about, man? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm trying to talk to you about this having a hot dog, and all of a sudden, coming to me. You're telling me <laughs> you got a no small nuts and tiny winners? You know where that's from? Yes. Okay, yes. just making sure. I want to see the only crazy one here, right? That's awesome. <laughs> Two dummies on a podcast. Anyway. <laughs> that should be the new name. <laughs> that's that we're changing it, yes. Two dummies on a podcast. So anyway, the guy kept treating the, uh, this dude, and even though he said, yeah, he can go back and start taking the training, you know, to be a pilot to, you know, have people's lives in his hands. Yes. 
So it took many additional months for German aviation authorities to reinstate Lubitz's student pilot's license and his medical clearance to fly, updating them with the abbreviation SIC for special, uh, special regular examination, which I'm assuming SIC is probably in German. Probably, yeah. Because yeah. it's not in this. I don't want <laughs> to torture you. With <laughs> So this entry would remain on Lubitz's file, okay? So in other words, they put special regular examination, so he's supposed to get examined on a regular basis. Correct. Okay. So so I feel like because of the psychiatrist, they're mm. giving him a chance. If yeah. his doctor says it's okay, then it must be okay. Right. As long as he is heavily under the influence of drugs and flying a couple hundred ton aircraft yeah. with hundreds of lives at stake, he's fine. Oh, it's great. <laughs> He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't. It's fine. He's. He's. You just take your medication. You'll be good. Yeah. I'm not getting on that fucking plane. I tell you that much. <laughs> Do you think this like kind of had a fly anywhere? Who's my pilot? <laughs> yeah. Wait. It's not the guy I said okay to, right? This SIC guy. Okay. Good. Because okay. I'm not getting on that fucking plane. <laughs> so his automatic grounding would arise from an additional psychotherapeutic therapy for his depression or other medications. So another one. I'm sorry. I was just impressed that you did that without a hiccup. What? A psychotherapeutic? Listen, man, sometimes you hit those out of the park, man. <laughs> Other times I'm like, what is T-H-E? <laughs> so this would almost definitely signal the end of his flying career, right? Yes. Well, at least as far as he was aware, right? I mean, makes sense. I'm being grounded because I have more therapy and my depression's coming back. And listen, I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, for sure. I do. I, I really feel bad for the guy. Well, as far as his mental status. Correct. You no, know, I feel bad for that. Correct. That, that sucks. Prior to anything. Correct. Yes. So after finishing his training in Bremen in the first few months of 2010, Lubitz prepared for the four-month course of the Lufthansa-owned flight school in Arizona by completing a student pilot form uh, form required by the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. Which we have a very high standard when it comes to pilots and their standards. And if he was able to get passed through that, that just goes to say that we're not high enough standard. Right. Well, this is in 2010. And, well, well, he fucking lied mm. when asked on the form if he had ever received a diagnosis for mental problems of any sort, depression, anxiety, etc. Hmm. He checked the box and said, no, but left the space where he was supposed to describe any medical care he had gotten in the previous three years blank. Weird. But why? I just want to fly, man. Because I believe I can fly. I believe I can pee on people. Sorry. Anyway, sorry. That was weird. That <laughs> we was weird. Kelly now? Yeah, no, that's what I was trying. Oh, anyway. Okay. No, not trying. I was trying. Anyway. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm going to see if I can delete that real fast. Sorry. Please don't like isolate that. Please. That's no, no, no. Take that out of context. Yeah, no, 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 no. No golden showers for Jonathan. So yet, however, the falsehood, his lie was exposed. Oh. Yes, it was. A German aviation doctor who reviews documentation for the American agency noticed that Lubitz's phony declaration four days after Lubitz submitted the form to the FAA and reported it. Ha-ha! Yeah, fuck you. He said, oh, no, wait, I know this name. Who is this bastard? Wait a minute. This is the guy I'm supposed to be looking out for. <laughs> is this? That's not my pilot, is it? I have to go somewhere. Please don't. <laughs> He's a liar! <laughs> So a pilot who makes false statements on an FAA application risks being arrested for perjury or having his license permanently revoked. 
But in Lubitz's instance, the uh, fabrication slowed things down, but it didn't stop him. An FAA representative answered, uh, you know, they said, quote, uh, we are unable to determine your eligibility to hold an airman medical certificate at this time. Please submit a current thorough status report from a prescribing physician due to your history of reactive depression. Why is he allowed to be a freaking pilot if you have manic depression? You gotta give everyone a chance. No! No? <laughs> no! Oh, no. We don't. Okay. That's the problem. This whole everyone gets a fucking trophy bullshit. Stop it. Stop it right now. Yeah. That right there, I don't give a shit. You tell that dude, no. No. Uh, all I'm saying is ever since our bonus, I ref- I'm never going to go to a doctor's office, a taxi cab, or any other, you know, serviced industry where they are in control of my life just, without just, asking them, how's your day going? Just don't, yeah, be, be nice. Yeah. Be nice. I'm usually nice, but I'm going to make a specific, uh, I'm going to make a left-hand turn and just be like, hey, doc, how you doing today, bud? I'm just going to build a fort in the back. That's where that's where it is. Did spill a fort? A fort. Oh, okay. Yeah, I am. What? In the backyard? Yeah, I got all kinds of cardboard boxes. <laughs> what? It's going to be awesome. It would be pretty cool. I have a PlayStation in there. Oh, shit. Yeah. A cardboard. Huh? Make it cold. You got a heater, at least? How? I just burned the cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're not allowed to fly. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, folks. So, of course, to put it another freaking way, he got another chance and this time he took it confessing his past history of depression and granting the request for a medical report this uh, apparently was sufficient enough to appease the authorities on both sides including us mm. which is great mm. so germany and us were all like oh all right <laughs> after a few weeks guess what he was on his way to arizona mm. lubitz completed 100 hours of flight training in goodyear arizona outside of phoenix some of them in a six-seat Beechcraft Bonanza, which, which I want. Okay, could you explain? So a six-seater Bonanza aircraft is a twin propeller aircraft where you have two people in the front flying the aircraft and you have six people in the back of the aircraft. It is a beautiful plane. It can actually go up to speeds of around 240 to 300 miles an hour, and it is a beautiful aircraft. Beechcraft is one of my favorite uh, privately owned aircraft distributors. Okay. <laughs> So he was doing that and some flight simulation stuff. So 100 hours, not a lot. Nope. Like I said, I have five times that. And I, yes. That's crazy. Yes. And he's able to, yes. Yeah. So he then went back to Germany in the spring of 2011 to actually continue his training on jets Hmm. while working as a flight attendant for Lufthansa. And apparently that's kind of what they did back then, or at least they still do, I would assume. Which I guess is whatever. You to know. an extent. I mean, they're... You got to get your... Especially with, your like, air legs and stuff. Right? They're, like, they've... Kind of like with the police academies and the fire academies, they're, like, kind of reducing the academy times for a lot of that stuff because they need people so badly. Like, if you just That's have... That's not good. <laughs> I didn't agree that with it. That is not good. All I'm saying is that they... Yeah. It's like... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Doctor Doctor Swanson. Um, yeah, we're running really low on uh, on 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 staff, and uh, we could really use the help. Um, grab the janitor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just throw him into a yeah. freaking simulator. See what he does. Just give him a scalpel. See what he does. If he can land it, it yeah. we're perfect. Yeah. See what he does. See what I mean, does. in reality, they're they're okay. This is gonna sound awful, but they're is not a lot to flying a commercial aircraft because a lot of the flying is done through autopilot. You have auto landing procedures, auto takeoff procedures, and you have auto. Yeah, it's the taking off and landing that are hard parts. To an extent, your autopilot can do that. That's why they're all these planes are all called fly by wire because electronics. Wait a minute, control the plane. 
planes can actually land by themselves? Mm-hmm. Shut the front door. As long as there is no outside weather conditions, nine times out of ten, it's usually an assisted um, flight response. So it's assisted. Yes. So you still got to be there to kind of like... You're there just to make sure the plane don't fuck itself up. But yeah, like a bird flies in front of you and just... Goes, Which ha- has happened. Yeah, yeah has happened. Times, yeah. Times. yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed that uh, a Fucking lot birds. of... There's a lot more uh, uh, plane crashes in the last 15 years than there have been in the last 40? Probably because of fucking geese. Fucking Canadian geese. <laughs> hey, geese. <laughs> geese and orcas can kiss it and hippos. That's on my list, folks. If you guys are keeping a tally, geese, mm-hmm. hippos, mm-hmm. and freaking killer whales. And the occasional cat. Well, no. no? Cats are all right, I guess. Oh, okay. I mean, well, no, fu- no, Jeff hates cats. I, I'm okay with cats. Yeah. I, I like dogs. I like dogs. <laughs> you like dags? <laughs> So anyway, this guy here, Lubitz, he joined uh, German Wings, okay, the the the, uh, the 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 company, the company here, in the fall of 2013, and soon rose to the position of first officer, co-piloting brief flights throughout Germany and Western Europe. And there were no other known mental health issues at the time, so he seemed to have it on lockdown. He's okay, and it, I get it. I once again give people a chance. I understand. Yeah. Two chances. <sighs> You know, but then you're on like three, so he's on his third, and it's like, okay, he's doing all right, but you better keep a really fucking close eye on this guy. Yeah, very tight leash. So it is unknown how frequently Lubitz was forced to report to Lufthansa doctors, uh-huh, like I said, should keep a close eye, or how thoroughly he was evaluated. However, the SIC, uh, the note on Lubitz's medical records, mandated that Aeromedical uh, the Center uh, at Lufthansa check him for depression on a regular basis. Again, be doing this. Hey, are you depressed? No. All right, you're good. Okay, cool. Younger pilots should be screened for mental illness in the aviation sector, according to a 2012 report by United Nations regulatory body. Okay? The research claimed that the, quote, conventional medical examination uh, being used to evaluate uh, to evaluate them was completely insufficient to detect psychological issues. <clears throat> you depressed? No? All right, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Got a big stamp. <laughs> Approved. Such uh, these inspections are, you know, super bad and infamously lax. And yeah. like, so according to a New York lawyer called uh, Brian Alexander, a certified pilot who is pursuing a class action lawsuit on behalf of the relatives of the German wings victims. So in other words, they didn't know what the shit they were doing mm, yeah. or didn't care. Right. So, quote, there is a flaw in the system allowing a self-reporting and concealment, he told the media. You fill out this bullshit questionnaire. I love that he said that. Yeah. You fill out this bullshit questionnaire, you lie, and you were off to the races. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah that was a New York lawyer. What do you yeah. expect? <laughs> oh, oh, hold on, hold on. There's a flaw in his system. Allowing a self-reporting and concealment. Uh, I was going to fucking do it, but I went into a Boston one. It was like a weird <laughs> one. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving on. So, of course, with this dude's career kind of moving forward, Lubitz relocated to Dusseldorf in 2013 2013, (laughs) with Catherine Goldbach, a teacher who would later describe their relationship as solid and harmonious. Oh, my wife would never say that. (laughs) I was about to say. I don't think she would use those words. Even if if everything was fantastic, she wouldn't say that. And things are good. I'm not saying they're not. (laughs) You don't think she would dab somebody and be like, yeah, man, we solid. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. Yeah, no. Harmonious? No. Yeah. Definitely not, but solid, bro. I'm going to make her start saying that. Dude, that'd yeah. be hilarious. Anytime anyone asks how we are, just say we're harmonious. <laughs> so they decided to get married and have two kids. Oh, wow. On rare occasions, Lubitz would spend the weekend at Montebor, where he would see his parents and par- you know, participate in half marathons, occasionally alongside his father. 
He demonstrated all the traits that a prospective commercial pilot would look for, according to co-workers and friends. Hmm. He was, in the words of the Dusseldorf prosecutor's files, uh, quote, silent, competitive, motivated, and diligent. That's not okay. necessarily bad attitude. None of those are bad. None no. of those are bad at all. No. Uh, speaking of, do you want to go on a marathon? Uh-huh. Do you want to do a marathon with me? A marathon? Yeah. You want me to go to the gas station with you? Because <laughs> that's about as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> Good guess. Yeah, 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 that's it's a case of beer. Yeah, 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 that's a good idea, actually. So, however, Lubitz's piece uh, it wouldn't last too long. So, one in six males develop major depressive illness. All right, and at least fifty percent of those who recover go on to have one or more relapses. I'm one of those bastards. I don't realize that was that low. That's crazy. I have issues. Whatever you guys all know that. Whatever. So the relapse in Lubitz is a case. Uh, it seems to have started right before Christmas of 2014. And and listen, a lot of stress around Christmas. Oh, yeah. It's one of the highest suicide rate, uh, times is around yeah. Christmas and the holidays and stuff because people get depressed. People are freaked out about money. They're, you know, there's so many right. stress factors. That and they have to go to family, to family, to family. Especially right. for the airline industry. Right. Traveling. And then a Christmas story is on 24 hours a fucking day. I want to blow my brain out right Son there. of a shit. Yeah. So, however, it originally appeared as a psychosomatic symptom. Okay. So, just, it's in his head. Yeah. Which isn't all mental illness. Anyway. And he thought he was going blind, apparently. Oh, shit. Yes. He started making three or four appointments a week with ophthalmologists and neurologists, stating that he was seeing stars, halos, flashes of light, streaks, and flying insects. He also had double vision and was sensitive to light. He was terrified when an ophthalmologist remarked, his eyes and brain were evaluated by doctors using a range of cutting-edge tools, but nothing was found. He was given the label of having hypochondriacal... Ah, it's not right. Hypochondriac. Ah, hypo, hypochondriac. He was a fucking hypochondriac. There, there he is. Go. That works. <laughs> that disorder. Okay. Hypochondriacal? <laughs> hypo, hypochondriacal. Hypochondriacal. There you go. Hypo... It's probably wrong. Anyway, whatever. I don't know. I like that one, though. One neurologist said that he had that. He was a hypochondriac. So, in other words, he he or something, and he would freak out about it, and all of a sudden, he's got it. Right. Um, your grandmother had that. Mm. Yes. According And welcome. Hi. <laughs> this is called the crazy hour. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, according to the doctor's notes, Lubitz stated, uh, uh, stated with extraordinary frequency and specificity the nature of the symptoms affecting his vision and was unable to accept proposals of alter, um, alternative diagnosis, even ones positing psychological origins. As quoted by the Dusseldorf prosecutor, and uses a lot of big fucking words. I mean, he's a prosecutor. They right. have to confuse you. So basically, he's saying, listen, they're trying to tell you what it is and that there could be other things, and he refuses to believe it. Right. Right? Right. So he actually stopped receiving treatment at this point. No! That's good for you. <laughs> You got problems? Just stop going to the fucking doctor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously a fucking lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please don't do that. No, God, do not stop. Especially yes. if you're flying aircraft with me. <laughs> Even if they say you're okay, just keep going, man. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It, wait, what's what's going to happen? They're going to tell you you're having a good day. I, I, I'll take it. Right, right. Then you come back, and then you have a bad one. That's what we do. That's what humans do. We have yeah. a good day. We have a bad day. We have a really horrible day, and then we have a really awesome day. But it's how we handle it. And yeah. some of us just don't have the mental prowess to handle it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we deal with it. Right. You know what I mean? And so you find people to deal with it with you. Right. That's why they're there for. Like, That's better help. I right. swear to God, I want them to, oh, I want them to freaking just uh, sponsor the show so bad. Not even sponsor. Just be a part of the show with us. Yeah. I, I've tried and 
I got ghosted. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it some other time. So he actually stopped receiving the treatment, like I said. So his family doctor advised him to check himself into a mental health facility after diagnosing him with emergent psychosis. Mm. No bueno. And that wasn't reported to the FAA? No bueno. Or any fucking administration? That is... Oh, yeah. There has... To. And of course, he said, nah, I'm all right. That is a fucking great idea, by the way. What's that? Is creating a database for unfortunate people who have extreme disorders okay. and putting all their information into a database. And if their jobs or places they go require them to have a clean bill of health... That is a red flag that just goes, no, 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 let them in, don't let them in, don't let them in. Or if they try to buy a gun, or, but where's the line stop at? And that's yeah, why they that's don't the have fucky something part. like that. Yeah, yeah that that's why true. we have the, the, the was yeah. it HIPAA and all that yeah, shit? Yeah, that is the fucky part. Yeah. yeah. And, and trust me, listen, I, I do believe that we should have some sort of, um, you know, mental health regulations um, or regulations and stuff yeah. where people, like, if you want to own a gun, you got to go and have a fucking mental health evaluation. Like, once a year, who gives a shit? Right. If, if you have to get a license to drive a car, and you have to go in and get, like, after a certain age or whatever it is, or right. go get reinstated, or have your eyes done or whatever, right. then you should have to do that with everything. Right. All right? It's Ever. fine. Mm -hmm. We just want to make sure everyone's okay. Yeah. For your benefit, for their benefit, for the whole world's benefit. It is a smart idea. I'll step off my soapbox. So, all right. Lubitz, of course, here, appeared to be uh, coming around to the idea that his deteriorating vision might have uh, psychological roots. Over time, it took him a while. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. His mother contacted the Montebor doctor who had previously treated Lubitz for nine months in January. He visited the physician, uh, physician's office again that month for the first time since 2009. According to the prosecutor's papers, the psychiatrist was aware that Lubitz's depression had returned. It was back. He has mental illness and severe, like yeah. severe mental illness. While continuing his regular job and travel routine, Lubitz started a psychotherapy and once more took the potent medications La Lorazepam ooh, and Mirtazepine. 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 Mirtazepine, yeah. As instructed by the psychiatrist, he started uh, keeping a, oh, a Glukastash book, uh, roughly translated as a happiness diary. Okay. It's a diary where you keep track of shit. It's actually kind of cute. I didn't even think about that. I don't mean cute like in like a... Like no, you way, should. It's like, actually kind of smart. No, I've never even thought about they keeping say that all like the time. a diary of all the good things that happen. Your sister has one that she actually keeps. I actually used to do that, but that's what my kind of lyric sheet kind of was. Yeah. Where you write down stuff, and then you yeah. look back on it. It's like a diary, but not a diary like, Oh my God, I met this girl today. You know what I mean? It's right, more it's of like, a... Like, I went to work today, and this dude pissed me the fuck off, and yeah. this is how I held it, or right. handled it. Or you know? I went to Starbucks, and the barista gave me a free coffee because she thought I was cute. Right, and right. then you, you go back, and you look at these things, right. you know? But what's really good about those is that if you are having um, issues, mental health issues, stuff like that. It's a record. Well, it's a record, and you can take it with you, right. and they can see, okay, you are bipolar, or you are schizophrenic, or, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things if you get it taken care of. Right. All right? We're human, and we are to err, man. That's just who we are. All yes. right? Sorry, beating that freaking horse into the ground, and I'm gonna I mean, keep we, doing it. We we have to, man. We have to. The the, the way we deal in this country with um with uh, mental illness, it's it's not. I was gonna say it drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of redundant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it does. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It is. And other countries, and I know we have a lot of a lot of listeners in other countries. Um, there's a lot of countries that you guys really seem to have it on lockdown yeah. as far as mental health goes. And, and, and I really, really look to you guys as, that's amazing. To yeah. me, that's amazing. So one of these days we might catch up mustard. Anyway, so 
he is basically saying that his psychiatrist is saying that his depression came back. Right. So while continuing his regular job, and again, he started getting on these pills, and then he gets this happiness diary, which he actually kept track of his happy thoughts. So every time he was in a good mood, he'd write it in there. That's awesome. That's great. Although I feel like there should be, like, where you're... The bad mood is too. Right. I, I, I want to see both. You know what I mean? Like, like, give me everything. Right. Know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Right. So he uh, actually suffered from uh, severe sleeplessness. Uh, sleepless. He couldn't fucking sleep. <laughs> but he said that his condition had begun to improve. He That's once wrote, "Quote: Three and a half hours of deep sleep. That's not a lot." <laughs> mm, nope. In another journal entry, he wrote, "Slept for four hours at a time." Again, not good. Your brain needs that. It needs to sleep. So the majority of German privacy regulations are, you know, they're pretty extensive. Mm -hmm. However, if a psychiatrist thinks a patient might be a threat to other people's lives, they are permitted to inform the appropriate, you know, authorities. Good. All right? Yes. Including an an employer, which I think it should happen like that. Yeah, no matter where you work. Right. But uh, Lubitz's doctor appears to have made no such attempt to alert the uh, Lufthansa about his actual relapse. Hmm. And obviously this would have some pretty severe repercussions. When GQ contacted the psychiatrist at his, uh, I'm assuming the CQ magazine. Yeah, it's the website. Yeah, yeah. the magazine, yeah. yeah. When he when they contacted the psychiatrist at his Montebourg, Montebar, whatever, clinic, he uh, declined to discuss the care of Lubitz. Of course he did. Early in March, Lubitz's thoughts uh, began to, uh, you know, to turn uh, to, to kind of go, you know, not as bad, right? You know? He performed online searches for the best ways to end his life. Mm. Right. So he was actually thinking about, how, how do I get rid of this? Ah. Depression is getting worse. Including, quote, creating carbon monoxide, uh, drinking gasoline, and which poison kills without agony. A Dusseldorf doctor issued Lubitz a sick note on, uh, you know, like a, you know, a, like a, you know, what do you call it? A doc- a doc- like a doctor's note. Yeah, yeah. doctor's note. Over here in the States, uh, on March 18th, that was valid for four days and stated that Lubitz had, quote, a persistent eyesight impairment with a thus far unknown origin. Again, this is psychosomatic. Interesting. Two days later, sitting at home, he de- uh, developed a fresh strategy for self-extinction. He looked up information regarding the locking system on an Airbus A320 cockpit door online that evening on March 20th. A scrap of notebook paper that Lubitz wrote uh, Decision Sunday on and the flight code BCN for the Barcelona on on March 22nd, the day before uh, this whole thing, right. um, starting back at, uh, you know, coming back to work, basically. He right. was talking about this. So he's preemptively deciding to do this. Right. And was later found in his apartment in, in the trash. Under that topic, Lubitz, is, uh, Lubitz provided the, uh, the following choices. Um, quote, deal with stress and sleepiness. You should do that. Or sleeplessness, should I say. You you should do that. You're yeah, tired. Of course. Quote, find the inner desire to work and continue to live. Okay, that's very good. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And, quote, let myself go. Mm. Okay, depending on where he's talking about with that. Yeah, you, yeah. you should. You should like, let things go. Yeah. Get it off your shoulder. Walk away. Let the belly go, you know. Right. Yeah. The what? The belly, you know. Let yourself go, belly-wise. Oh, boy. Get a little fat. I know all about that. <laughs> Thank you, beer. Yeah. So he made a round-trip flight from Dusseldorf to Berlin on Monday the 23rd, and the pilot who was with him noted that he behaved perfectly normal the entire time. When Catherine, the wife, got home from work that evening, uh, you know, it's kind of late, she claims that she was not aware of her husband's deteriorating mental state. Okay? The two went grocery shopping to stock up on food for the remainder of the week. In other words, nothing was out of sorts. Right. 
Lubitz parked his uh, uh, his Audi in the uh, Dusseldorf or um eh, Dusseldorf's airport's parking lot the following morning before boarding the 7 a.m. trip to Barcelona. The black box from that trip reveals that Lubitz momentarily set the aircraft's automatic pilot to 100 feet, the lowest level as a practice run for the return flight, while Sondenheimer was uh, briefly outside the cockpit. So before any air traffic controllers could react, he switched it back again. So, okay, explain that. So he set it. What do you mean he set so it? So he set the, the... So basically when you're setting autopilot, it's your altitude that you're holding. So your plane has a general idea of where it's at and the position of the angle of the nose of the, of the, the plane and the height above sea level. So you can set it to whatever level you want and you can set how fast or how slow it gets to that level. A hundred feet? A hundred feet above sea level, which if you're in Europe going to Barcelona, that's not anywhere near sea level. That's nowhere. A hundred feet. It doesn't matter where. Because if you're flying at 30,000 feet, you, you, when you take off mm-hmm. and you're getting up into the, the, the clouds and to the spheres things, um, when you're getting up there... yeah. You're you're easily you're trying to get to thirty thousand, thirty five thousand feet, thirty eight thousand feet. So you're going up a hundred feet. That's called surface. Yes, you're hitting things. You're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and nobody noticed this. No, and that like leads me to believe like he was trying to possibly do something to himself, obviously. But at the same time, he was like having like he was holding back a little bit because obviously if. That's the lowest at the... Kind of had a change of heart. Kind of had a change and of heart. And why did the black box allow you to do that if it knows that, like, that? that's nowhere nowhere ever are you only flying at 100 So feet. the downside is aircraft don't have topographical sensors. So they just can tell you if you're getting too close to the ground or sea level. But they don't have sensors saying, like, oh, there's a tree coming at you. There's a mountainside coming at you. It's only what is... It, it's basically... Why do we not have those? It's... Incredibly expensive. Again, commercial airline. Not good for profits um, because they trust their pilots to do the right thing. Um, so, and, so we should. what you're saying is is that the government should take over and, and have all the, the flights. No. No, because government regulated anything doesn't seem to be the greatest thing in yeah. the world. So. I don't know. It's just weird. Yes. There's right. a lot of things that can be fixed with that stuff, but yeah, that's... So after Sonnenheimer, the uh, the pilot here, left the cockpit to you know go to the bathroom, Lubitz quickly implemented his strategy by himself. Sonnenheimer's emergency access code was disabled when he switched the cockpit door toggle switch, which was on a pedestal to the left of his seat, from the normal to the locked position. Later, he reached ahead and adjusted the automatic pilot's dial to lower the aircraft to, again, 100 feet. The aircraft left its cruise altitude just before 10.31 a.m. and started descending at a rate of 3,500 feet per minute, or 58 feet per second. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's quick. After crossing the French coast near Toulon, the passengers most likely felt a little dip and a change in pressure at this time, though it's unlikely that that anyone got freaked out by it. Right. The airplane was notified by French air traffic controllers who had discovered the unlawful alteration, and, of course, Lubitz made no comment about it. Okay, so they actually noticed this, though. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why Why is this happening? So at 10.34, Sottenheimer made a three-minute return. He in, in, entered his access code and the, pound, uh, and the pound symbol on a keypad outside the cockpit, and it was denied. He rapped on the door, knocked on his door. Hey, it's me. Let me the fuck. What, what the fuck? 
Once the aircraft reached cruising altitude, the flight attendants turned their attention to the disturbance as they got ready to roll their snack and beverage carts down the aisle. The captain can't get into the cockpit. Right. That's a little disturbing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd be a little taken aback by that. Yeah. If he's like, hey, come on, dude, open up the door. <laughs> Excuse me. Aren't you supposed to be fucking in there? <laughs> Who's flying the airplanes? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> so Lubitz didn't respond as the captain's image appeared on a small television screen in the cockpit. Uh, cockpit, thanks to a closed circuit camera, probably is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. Sottenheimer began banging out uh, on the door out of alarm. Of course, he's fucking like, what are you doing? However, Lubitz didn't say a word. The pilot screamed, quote, for the love of God, pull this door open. The aircraft was flying at roughly 25,000 feet. Passengers started getting up from their seats and marching around the aisles as they could now feel the sharp descent and the first wave of panic. People are freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Rightfully so. Of course. Seidenheimer requested a flight attendant bring him a crowbar from the back of the aircraft at 1039, which they carry crowbars just in the back because of stuff like this. Apparently. Is that what this is? Apparently. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Taking hold of the steel rod, the pilot started slamming the door before attempting to bend and pry it open. The Alps, covered in snow, were becoming closer and closer as the jet descended below 10,000 feet. Lubitz put on an oxygen, ma- oxygen mask and went inside the cockpit. Open that bloody door! As the terrified passengers stared in confusion, Seidenheimer kept yelling. Lubitz exhaled slowly. The alert sounded at 1040. Terrain, terrain, pull up, pull up, pull up. I'm assuming that's the that's the, the aircraft pilot, itself, yeah. right? Yeah. The aircraft descended even further to 7,000 feet. A loud ping, ping, ping from the alert warned of approaching Earth, of, of, of the ground coming faster and faster. Yep. The right wing of the Airbus struck the mountainside at 5,000 feet 60 seconds later. Screams and alarms were the only other sounds that the voice recorder captured and the jet hit the mountain at a speed of 403 miles per hour just shortly afterwards. Fuck! Yeah. And all of it could have been avoided. Every single bit of that could have been avoided. People did their fucking job. Just just redonkulous. Yeah. And that's, Uh, unfortunately, that's, uh, people are like, I'm going to, Try and give this guy a chance, and that's what happens. Ugh, I feel like that doctor, his psychiatrist, he should be fucking held one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Not only just a short while prior to that, but he had a long, extensive history with this exact patient. Yes, there should have been something put in there. Correct. Even when it was recommended that he go visit a psychi- psychiatric ward and be held there for helping him with his condition, nothing was done. Not it's even, insane. Yeah. And all those people, all their lives, like, like just nothing because this dude just had this hard on to kill himself and what wanted to make a freaking, like, what was the point? What was the point in doing that? Yeah. I, oh, man. Yeah. Mental illness, man. I'm telling you, y'all take care of yourselves. <laughs> so, now listen, one last one here. All right. And I know these are, these are pretty dark. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it's kind of what we do. You guys know that. So, are you familiar with Richard Russell? The name doesn't sound familiar, no. All right. What about the Horizon Air Q400 that's based, uh, it was like kind of out of, out of Alaska? No. I can't. Oh, well, I got a great story for you. Oh, shit. This is a sad story, but nobody, I'll just get to it. Okay. 
So, all right, Richard Russell, 29 at the time, okay, he was born in Key West, Florida and moved to Wasilla, Alaska when he was seven years old. Okay. According to a blog he created for an online communications class at Washington State University. Friends of his said that Russell never talked about planes or flying as a kid. Like, he, they didn't know that he even had a thing about flying. Huh. He liked to play football and competed in track and field at Wasilla High School, according to a local newspaper, graduating in 2008. He moved to Coos Bay, Oregon, attending Southwestern Oregon Community College, where he met Hannah Strasener at a church gathering in 2010. He's a churchgoer. They married a year later and then opened a bakery that they uh, ran together for three years. Hmm. You know, seems like a good life, right? Yeah, for sure. They moved to Sumner in 2015 to be nearer to her family. And, uh, you know, Russell wrote on his blog again, and he got a job working for Horizon Air. Oh, wow. He also enrolled at WSU and graduated in two, uh, t- ah, 2017 with a degree in social sciences. Okay. Russell was a ground service agent at Horizon, this little airline, part of a two-person tow team that turned around airplanes. So when an airplane would come in, they were the one that would take it and put it where it needs to go and, you know. Taxis. He was regularly alone in cockpits for stretches that ranged from 10 to 45 minutes. Okay. okay. He turned on planes, auxiliary power units, essentially the battery, of course, you know, to get it going. Yeah. Communicated with air traffic controllers and would have used the plane's brakes in an emergency, but would never have turned on the engines or propellers. And these are what co-workers used to say or whatever. So that's kind of what you would do on a regular basis. Gotcha. Okay. Mary Schiavo, an aviation attorney and former inspector general of the Department of Transportation, noted that pilots are never alone in the cockpit. Okay, so now you may be able to go in there and do stuff that you need to, but somebody's still keeping an eye on you, right? right? And they're always required to be joined by a colleague. But ground service agents enter the cockpit alone, and their partner driving the pushback tractor on the ground. So two two team, mm-hmm. one guy is, uh, you, you have the confidence in him to go up there and do certain things, right? while the other one's kind of like, You've seen those like cart things that yeah, can yeah. pull it or whatever. Right? Yeah. The, the like little they got to be tough to pull a whole freaking plane. They are strong. Yeah, I kind of want one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just do that and a zamboni. I want a zamboni too. Zamboni would be cool. I don't know where the hell I put it. Yeah, or what you would use it for. I don't have any ice. Yeah, we that can change. Yeah, it will soon. Yes. So the aircraft was uh the 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 soon to be talked about aircraft here was stolen from plane cargo one at the north end of SeaTac Airport and maneuvered to runway 16C via taxiways. Seattle Tower tried several times to get the pilot of the aircraft to identify himself on frequency. Like, who the hell's flying this damn thing? But they received no response. A nearby Alaska Airlines jet on the ground reported that the aircraft began a takeoff roll with its wheels smoking, and an unauthorized takeoff was made at 1932 local time, which would be 732, is that correct? correct? Yes. In response, uh, two McDonnell Douglas F uh, 15C Eagles Beautiful of the Oregon Air National Guard's uh, 150, uh, 142nd fighter, uh, fighter Wing, damn it, under the command of NORAD, were scrambled at around uh, 2015, which would be 8:15. Thank you. Yep. Local time from Portland at, uh, Air National Guard. Uh, damn it, Guard Base. So many words to intercept this plane that's taking off, right? Both were armed with uh, AIM or AIM nine sidewinders 
and AIM-120 AMRAAM air-to-air missiles and went supersonic. Well, those are AMRAMs, baby. Yeah, they, I don't know any of this, and I just put it in there because I figured you'd like it. Those are meant to take out planes. Okay. That's all that's, you got to know. Well, they went supersonic, generating sonic booms on the way to the Puget Sound yeah, area. Yeah, they scrambled fucking quick. Yeah, well, it, it, I imagine. Like, they were notified literally a half hour, within a half hour, and within 15 minutes, they were airborne. Like, that's fucking quick. Just, just I mean, pointing that out. They're in Alaska. There's not a lot going on. But that's my point. They're <laughs> in Alaska. Saying. Why is Oregon yeah, scrambling I, that I fucking know, fast for an Alaskan flight? It's going to yeah. take them at least. Well, it was right outside of Oregon. It was an Alaskan flight. Oh, it was okay, outside okay, of Oregon. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So a KC-135R straight, uh, strato tanker, refueling tanker, was also scrambled from Fair, uh, Fairchild <laughs> Air, For- eh, Air Force Base to support the F-15 flight. So pretty boy. Flights in and out of the SeaTac airport were temporarily suspended. Makes sense. Okay, obviously there's some ish going down. Right. So Seattle Tacoma Air Traffic Control ATC, or known as, maintained radio contact with the occupant. Okay, this pilot. Who the hell is this pilot? Right. The transmissions were quickly recorded and posted on social media websites. What? He said, "Quote: He was a broken guy. Got a few screws loose. I guess never really knew it until now." When ATC suggested that the plane be landed at Joint uh, Base Lewis-McChord and uh, the the person controlling the plane, a Mr. Russell, refused. Quote, those guys will rough me up if I try to land there. I think I might mess something up there, too. I wouldn't want to do that. He asked ATC if he could get a job as a pilot with Alaska Airlines if he successfully landed the aircraft. Wait, what? So the way he said it, uh, okay, we'll keep going through this. Okay. ATC, uh, the ATC, the the air traffic control here or whatever, said, uh, quote, they would give you a job doing anything if you can pull this off. To which he replied, yeah, right, nah, I'm a white guy. Yikes. He spoke of wanting to do, quote, a couple of maneuvers to see what the aircraft can do and requested the uh, the coordinates of an orca, fuck, that had been brought to national attention. There was something that was, like, in the news and stuff because it's like orca had babies or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it was going down the, the coast, and he wanted to know where it was. He wanted to go see it in this plane. That he had just stolen. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. He said, I, I want to go see that guy. Talking about the Orca. He stated that he did not want to hurt any, anyone and in the final minutes of the communication apologized to his friends and family. Near the end of the flight, the aircraft was seen performing an actual barrel roll over Puget Sound. And there's video footage you can find online oh, to shit. watch this dude who's not a pilot maneuvering it. What plane was this? Do we know? Get back up. Yeah, get back up there and look at the Q400. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So, and it's actually a pretty large plane, too, if you look at, like, online or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. if you guys Google it or whatever, it's a pretty good-sized plane. So, when he did this, it was recovering just a mere 10 feet over the water. Oh, my Lord. Okay. You guys know how tall you are. Think about 10 feet. Think about a plane coming that close to you. Oh, that's crazy. A veteran pilot said the maneuver, quote, seemed pretty well executed without either stalling or pulling the wings off. So that's Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. When an air traffic controller requested to land the plane after the maneuver, he said, uh, "Ah, quote, I don't know. I don't want to. I was kind of hoping that that was going to be it, you know. He added that he, quote, wasn't really planning on landing it. Lord. The two F- uh, F-15s that you were drooling over attempted to direct the aircraft toward the Pacific Ocean and did not fire at all. They were hoping because at this time, too, he was also running out of fuel. Right. Kind of like a scared tactic. Well, yeah, it was a more like, but he... I have audio footage I'm going to play for you guys. Oh, shit. Of this actual interaction between the um, the air traffic control and this guy. 
And you're going to hear what I'm talking about when it didn't sound like he was upset, didn't sound like he was sad, didn't sound like he was crazy. It sounded like a dude that just lost his shit. Mm. So I'll play that right after this part here. So you guys make sure you stick around. So anyway, they wanted to take him out there and they didn't want to like shoot it down because, you know, this guy, it's just one person in a plane. Right. The Q400 ultimately crashed at 2043 local time on Ketron Island in Puget Sound. Pierce County, Washington, killing the occupant, Mr. Russell, and destroying the aircraft. A towboat crew was the first to respond. Delayed by the uh, Stialicum, oh, what a name, Anderson Island Ferry firefighters from West uh, Pierce Fire and Rescue and other nearby departments arrived on the island about an hour and a half after the crash when they then contended with the island's thick brush. So, of course, it's just an island. Mm-hmm. He aimed it in the literally... In that area, for him to have aimed it in an area like this, it's just crazy that this guy not only did barrel rolls, right. wasn't a pilot, and then land not landed it, uh-huh, yeah. but but didn't he didn't hurt anybody. Right, nobody else got hurt. So the fire burned a two acre area, but was extinguished by the following morning. No injuries were were uh, actually reported to residents of the uh, the island, despite the crash site being in close proximity. To at least one cabin. Like, nobody got hurt. Wow. Which was actually occupied at the time of the incident. Oh, shit. So now, former co-workers described a, uh, Russell as a quiet, friendly guy who read a lot and liked the free travel perks that came with working for an airline. Yeah. But four former ground service agents who worked with him keyed in one line from the cockpit recording a complaint about wages and a dig at management. And he says, quote, Minimum wage, we'll chalk it up to that, Russell said on the flight radio to air traffic controllers. Quote, maybe they'll grease some gears a little bit with the higher-ups. Russell's former co-workers described Horizons, uh, Horizon, the, the, the place he worked for, as an often uh, unpleasant place to work where workers were pushed hard, underappreciated, and carried a sense of grievance that they were paid less than the SeaTax much-publicized 15 bucks an hour. So they're getting minimum wage to work so many hours. Wow. So it's a complaint that Russell himself echoed in social media postings, noting the dichotomy between a grueling, low-paying job and the globe-trotting trips that the job let him take. So now you did get some perks. Yeah. But you're making no money. Right. Quote, I never thought I would work as a ground service agent, he wrote. It seemed like such miserable uh, miserable work, and I never could imagine why anyone uh, would want to subject themselves to all the constant noise, gas fumes, and heavy lifting. I would like to dedicate this blog to the life of a ramper and highlight the remarkable contrast between our work and rest. Yeah. So they, they call themselves rampers, I guess. Yeah, because they yeah. work on the air. So in a video Russell made, he uh, focused on the flight benefits that came with his job, which he used for a trip to France and frequent trips uh, home to Alaska. He also wrote about his hopes for the future, which included being a manager at the company um, or becoming a military officer. Okay, hmm. these things he wanted to do. So Fan, this is a friend of his, who last saw his childhood friend uh, the year before when they met up for a night of pizza and beer in Las Vegas, said that the uh, travel benefits were important to him. He wanted to help out his family the best way he could. Uh, you know, making money, uh, firstly, and then secondly, so his mom and family could actually travel. Okay, so he was gotcha. doing this for his family. That's cool. Right. But another posting, again, for Russell's communications class, handed it at a dissatisfaction with the job albeit one that's uh, common in, you know, a lot of workplaces. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes their job, you know. Well, (laughs) at least if you do, you're lucky. 
So Russell was interviewing several unidentified uh, co-workers about how they liked working at Horizon. Quote, I enjoy that it is a physical job with a lot of different tasks you can partake in. I enjoy the flexibility of the schedule and the flight benefits, one co-worker told Russell. I do not enjoy management. Agreed, Russell said. Brandon Brown, who worked as a Horizon Ground Service agent for six years before leaving in 2017, said he used to talk with Russell about trips they would take. Russell, he said, was always friendly and was always reading in what uh, little you know downtime they had. He liked to read a lot. Quote, every time he'd come into work, he'd always have a stack full of books, said uh-huh. Brown, who didn't recall the titles. Quote, he was the nicest guy. Sometimes you can work at places, and some of the people there, uh, you'd think something was you know a little off with him. Right. I never in a million years thought that about him. I just don't understand. Fan, again, his uh, childhood friend, remains in disbelief that his friend actually did this crazy thing. And Russell's description of himself in the cockpit radio, quote, just a broken guy, got a few screws loose, I guess, never really knew it until now, is at odds with Fan's memory of his friend. He remembers growing up in uh, Wasilla, camping in video games and building forts in the woods. All right. You know, being friends. Right. They tried to recreate the Lord of the Rings and invented a game called Poop Ball mm. that involved paint, spinning chairs, a crutch, and an oar. Mm. He never talked about any mental health issues. Quote, he was always happy. Every time we saw him, it was like he had these giant ear-to-ear grins, Fan said. Myself, my friends, everybody, we've been talking to each other, and we're like, why? I don't understand. We're going off, so I think so. And everyone standing by for departure, just hold uh, hold on with me for a second. Here's you. Right, zero, seven, zero. Approach, welcome, final runway, one, six, right. Welcome. Man, I'm a ground service agent. I don't know what that is. Clear to Portland, Seattle, six is filed up to 7,017. Good for this show, one, six, right, so I'll find the runway. Start it up, get it to go. Uh, a couple hours, I guess, but... Um, yeah, I wouldn't know how to fly one of those aircraft, but uh, we'll see what we can do and get you in contact with somebody. All right. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to do a couple maneuvers to see what it can do before I put her down, you know? And departure, Boeing 464. And so I can uh, reach out to you a little easier. A little bit. I'm sorry, say that again. Sorry, uh, my mic can't, came off. I threw up a little bit. Uh, you know, I, uh, hold on. Shoot. Man, I'm sorry about this. I hope this doesn't ruin your day. 22, cross rail and six left contact. Just flying the plane around. You seem comfortable with that? Oh, hell yeah, it's a blast, man. I played video games before, so I, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing a little bit. Okay, and uh, and you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? Nah, everything's peachy, peachy clean. Just did a little circle around Rainier. It's beautiful. Um, I think I got some gas to go check out uh, the Olympics. And, uh, yeah. Okay, and uh, Rich, do you know, uh, are you able to tell what altitude you're at? Only one six left, iconic tower for your landing clearance. I threw up all inside of it. It's bad. You'll be released when you when you taxi out. American 600. Too to join. I was thinking about it, and then uh, probably a good thing I did. 494. Mexico 494 monitor tower. Our did up. Yeah, that's all mumbo jumbo. I have no idea what all that means. I wouldn't know how to uh, punch it in. I'm 
I'm uh, off autopilot. Okay, see ya. Make a right turn on Bravo. 5,500. No, I'm not taking you to any jets. I'm actually keeping you away from aircraft that are trying to land at SeaTac. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I don't want to screw with that. I'm glad, uh, glad you're not, uh, you know, screwing up everyone else's day. On account of me. All the traffic in front of you, make the daisy chain up around on to uh, Alpha. We're going to keep the full clear this runway for... 446, can we just shut down? I'm, uh, I'm down to 2100. I started at like 30-something. Rich, you said you're at uh, 2,100 pounds of fuel left? Yeah, uh, I don't know what the burn, burn itch, burnout is like on, uh, uh, on takeoff, but, uh, yeah, it burned quite a bit faster than I expected. Okay. Uh, yes, sir, we have to feel that Kind of car? There is the, uh, the runway just off your right side in about a mile. Do you see that? That's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's McCord, uh, field. Oh man, those guys will rough me up if I uh, tried landing there. I think I, I think I might mess something up there too. I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, hopefully, oh, they probably got anti-aircraft. No, they don't have any of that stuff. Uh, we, we're just trying to find a place for you to land safely. Yeah, not quite ready to bring it down just yet, but holy smokes, I gotta, I gotta stop looking at the fuel because it's going down quick. Okay, Rich, uh, if you could, if, could you start a left-hand turn, and uh, we'll, we'll take you down to the uh, southeast, please. This is probably uh, like jail time for life, huh? I, I mean, I would hope it is for a guy like me. Well, Rich, we're not, we're not going to worry or think about that, but could you start a left-hand turn, please? 10-2, right, 620. 6-2, thank you. And uh, he's going to try and help you out here a little bit, okay? Niner Joe. Retro landing a zero seven zero. And I think you might have some questions, Rich. Uh, I've got a pilot on with us, and uh, if you got any questions, you can ask him now. Hey, uh, well, first off, you're a little, a little breaking up a bit. Um, maybe I'm too far away. What's the distance on his frequency? Two two sixty one heavy. Uh, Roger, might be a little bit further. Speed's just fine for now. Thanks. Well, this. Uh, you are uh, very calm, collect, poised. Do not run the 1-6 center. Okay, uh, crossing 1-6 center, hold short 1-6 left, Alaska 589. Zero, that in about two to three miles. Four hundred apparently is the uh, a grounds crewman <laughs> with, uh, with Horizon, I guess. And uh, okay. right now he's just flying around, and uh, he just needs some help controlling his aircraft. Very good. Nah, I mean, I don't need that much help. I played some video games before. Uh, I would like to figure out how to get this cabin altitude. Like, I know where the box is. I would like to get some, uh, make it, make it pressurized or something, so I'm not so lightheaded. Rich, what's your altitude? Cross one six center. Cross one six left. Uh, contact ground. Come to gate I'll ask the fourth uh, uh, Do you know how long it's going to be? No idea. We have no idea right now, so if you just hold on Alpha, all those aircraft were um, in sequence, so we'll get you going as soon as we know. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, I don't know anything, uh, I don't know anything about the autopilot. I'm just kind of hand flying right now. Okay, you know how fast you're going? Let's uh, hold behind, uh, 
Uh, yeah. Zero. That's 2021. Uh, minimum wage. We'll, we'll uh, chalk it up to that. Maybe that'll uh, grease the gears a little bit with the higher up. Maybe, uh, yeah. I think I lost you behind some hills a little bit. I'm coming back, though. Oscar 718, I believe so. Uh, still working on an issue. Um, I don't really have an estimate on how long that may be. Okay. Thank you. Of uh, 16 left, American 7, Alaska 691. Damn it, Andrew! People's lives are at stake here! Average, don't, don't say stuff like that. Nah, I didn't tell you. I'm not, I don't want to hear no one. I just want you to whisper sweet nothing into my ear. And uh, 600, uh, Roger. That's going to be a while before you can get into uh, cargo. Would that be better than uh, trying to land it? Like, I know how to put the landing gear down. 7,000. Expect flight level 410. Put your uh, your power at probably 50%. That'd be the two top gauges right in the center on that glass uh, display there. And then press, uh, well, Tell me, uh, do your power at 50% or tell me what you got. Yeah, I got it like flight idle. Well, that's too slow. Bring it up to like 50. Any of you Bravo Rams have this 20 uh, SF2. Visual 16 right. 67. All right, now. All right, no problem, yeah, because uh, I just want to know if we can, uh, you know, do a water service for the passengers back here. Four thousand south straight and actually at or about three thousand advised go inside. There's side on the bottom it says HDG and it's got a little blue uh, M on it. You can crank that around and uh, and uh, you know what tell you what, let's just do this. Um, push you see the H D D H D G button uh, right by that little thumb wheel? On top across, one six ten across one. What's all the airplanes doing on Alpha? It's going to maintain eight thousand. Plus four twenty. No, you can do that with these things. Uh, so, what would if you were to do it? How would you do it? Well, I'd try to figure out how to use the autopilot first. On the Roger Tech spot, uh, eighty-eight via Bravo, Connect Ramp. Eighty-eight and over ramp at twenty fifty-seven. Not concentrate so much on flying the airplane. Hey, you think if I land this successfully, uh, Alaska will give me a job as a pilot? Uh, you know, I think they would give you a job of doing anything if you could pull this off. Yeah, right. Nah, I'm a white guy, eh? Hey, so you're making one turn around, four better to a five mile final contact point, count out, and it's a one, two, zero, one, six. Okay, we'll do that with Steven, we're gonna go to the top. Talking to that aircraft at this time. Uh, if they need your assistance, I will, uh, I will let you know, but they are talking to that aircraft right now. Roger. 20, some moments. Yeah, you do your man. Hey, FA guy, Andrew, you on? Yeah, I, I'm still here, Rich. So now maintain one zero ten thousand, please. Three seven three. Add, but kind of not either. If you wanted to land, probably the best bet is that uh, runway just ahead and to your left. Again, that's the uh, McCord Field. Um, if you wanted to try, that might be the best way to set up and see if you can land there. Or just like the uh, pilot suggests, another option would be over Puget Sound into the water. Dang, uh, did you talk to McCord yet? Because I don't think I'd be happy with you telling me I could land like that because I could mess some stuff up. Well, Rich, I already talked to him, and uh, just like me, what we want to see is you not get hurt or anybody else get hurt. So, like I said, if you want to try to land, that's probably the best place to go. 
Hey, I want the coordinates of that orca with the, you know, the mama orca with the baby. I want to go see that guy. 285, runway 16, strike, clear to land. Behind you, there is another aircraft. Would you be willing to talk to them if they're on the frequency and maybe they can help you land? Six, uh, let me check for you. Hang on. That's right. It's up to you guys, but we got one going just in case. Okay, thank you. Back and get some water. Hey, what's the what's that airport right there behind me? Like to my left. Okay, Rich. Well, first of all, we we just need you to keep flying the aircraft. So if you could just stay there and keep flying the aircraft. The air, the, uh, the airport you just passed over on your left. That's the uh, Tacoma Narrows Airport. I mean, that's also an option if you want to try going there. But. Uh, like I said earlier, McCord, that's a, that's a bigger runway if you wanted to try to land there. 446, we're going to go ahead and shut down. Okay, oh, that's disgusting. One sec. Hey, Rich, this is Captain Bill here. We're still uh, listening. My airplane's doing uh, just fine. How's yours? Prime left to November, hold short of runway one. Like I said, it, it would be a better option, I think, if you tried to land it or even land it on the water. Yeah. Hey, is that pilot on? I want to know uh, what this weather is going to be like in the Olympics. Well, if you can see the Olympics, the weather's good. I can see the Olympics from my window, and it looks pretty good over there. All right, because I, I hit some, uh, felt like turbulence around right near, but there was no clouds hardly. Oh, uh, that's just the, uh, the wind blowing over all the bumpy surfaces there. So, yeah, that was basically the conversation, and... Uh, at, at some point in time, he actually just kind of says, yeah, you know what? I think I'm just going to end it kind of thing. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild, right? And props out to not only the ATC, but the other pilots as well, too, like keeping fucking calm yeah. like that, dude. Like, what a, what a crazy... Because at like, that point, you don't... I mean, even just talking with the guy, you can kind of see, like, he's, like, in a jolly good mood for most of it, right? Like, but... Yeah, I mean, he sounded like he got a little downtrodden, like, man, I'm sorry, I'm messing your day yeah. up, kind of. But he was never like, I plan on killing everyone, right. or I want to, you know, like, he, it's just, it's so sad to me. At that point, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's so sad. So he ended up putting that thing down into a, a very small area, and he, he, he killed himself. He was the only one to get injured yes. because of that. And that's why I kind of wanted to end this episode on that, is because he... That's crazy. Yes, he, he was a suicide pilot. He did something crazy, and if you guys get a chance, watch that video. You can find the video, and I'll throw a link. I'll yeah, throw a link for, for everybody, sure. and uh, it'll be at the uh, the end of the show notes for this or whatever. But you can actually watch him do a loop de loop from I'm gonna say probably about I don't know five, six, maybe eight thousand feet, and then he comes down. And he's like at a hundred feet above, not even a hundred. What was it? Ten, 10 feet. Ten feet. Yeah. Ten feet. That's, That's insane. And you can insane. see it actually happening and unraveling. So. Yeah, so unfortunately he did lose his life and he just he had some issues, which yeah. sounds like pretty much everyone we've talked about so far on this episode yeah. has had it. So listen, just, you know, be careful. Talk to your pilots. Tell them you like them. Yeah. Say, hey, how's your day? We smell your breath. That's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and listen, make sure to stop over to our official website, all right, the Midnight Train Podcast.com. Oh, you're asking, what about the movies this this time? Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, 
I figured since I uh, had the the audio footage that that we would bypass the movies today. We don't we don't need movies today. We've we've got enough fulfillment. I mean, technically, today. we did just listen to a ten minute portion of Correct. a video, which Correct. is pretty much like a movie. Correct. So, yeah. And you actually heard the audio footage, which yeah. is awesome. Which gave me goosebumps. Yeah, dude. it's pretty wild. Oh. It's pretty wild. So just get on over to our official website, MidnightTrainPodcast.com, the MidnightTrainPodcast.com, and at our website, you can buy some super sweet, super sweet merchandise. You know, we're working on all kinds of stuff all the time. I'm really wanting to get that Richard Kuklinski shirt done, and uh, I hope to have that done soon. And so you just get over there and, uh, you know, just, just listen to it. And while you're there, get some soap. Ooh. Yeah. Get some Dr. Squatch soap. Just uh, click mm. on our sponsors. Get in there, get twenty percent off your first subscription, and uh, that way you can smell like a man, and you know, and, and feel like a man, and and smell like a champion, and you know what, your wife can like it, and everyone can just yeah. not think that you stink. Because listen, you know what my grandfather used to say: oh, people can say? smell you two days before you can smell yourself. That is a old wife's. That is a thing. Yes, <laughs> that is a saying. <laughs> Speaking of though, I actually was just looking at like a bunch of new stuff that they just added on. They added a bunch of new deodorants as well too. Oh, I'm about to be picking them up here in next yeah. my next paycheck. You can get all, there's deodorants, there's uh hair stuff, there's beard stuff, there's there's stuff for I mean seriously everything, everything. So get on over there, stay save yourself 20% and just, you know, click on sponsors and click on the banner and Get yourself some damn soap. Yes, you know please. what I mean. Mm. And there's, there's, they have a new uh, program coming up soon uh, that we're going to be jumping on too. So, mm. just to let you know, hopefully save you guys a little bit more money. Oh, okay, okay. And listen, if you like what you heard from us, consider being a producer of the show by heading over to the midnighttrainpodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon button, or just simply go to patreon.com forward slash accidental axa. I can't even talk. Accidental dads, Jesus. <laughs> For as little as five bucks a month, you can get all kinds of cool stuff. You know, you get stickers, you get, but it's the bonuses that are important. Yes, the bonuses are fun because yes. we get to kind of like unleash a yes. little bit, get to play some music. Yes. We're behind a firewall, so we can do whatever we want or a paywall, no should I say? Holds yeah. Bod. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. So listen, get over there, sign up for sure, and do your thing. So yeah. listen, you know what else is cool about doing that? Wait, what is? It's because. You know, obviously, we love music. Of course. And we want future generations of musicians to have accessibility and music education. So we've decided to give to a great cause. Oh, we have? I mentioned this earlier. Oh, yeah. The Save the Music Foundation. Mm. Their mission is to help students, schools, and communities reach their full potential through the power of making music. As one of the leading music foundations in the United States, they support their partner communities in three ways. By donating musical instruments and musical technology, providing uh, providing support services for teachers, and advocating for music education. And music education is amazing. Yes. All that is amazing. All of it. So we're going to donate 20% of our merchandise sales and our Patreon donations from both shows each month. So support the show, get a uh, ton of bonuses, and help a great cause. You know what I mean? And, for sure. And listen, if you're not into that because, you know, you're... You're like, man, I don't know if I really want to commit to, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> anyway, if you want to just, you know, if you want more information or to donate on your own, go to savethemusic.org, okay? Now, listen, we've talked about this and we're working on it. $10 and up Patreon perks are coming. Mm, yes. We've The first one is going to be amazing. Yes. And we already know what it is. Yeah, we're going to strip. You're what? What? I'm sorry, you're, you're going to what? We're going to strip. Stri- strip what? Whatever you want, man. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm not stripping shit. No, no, no Steaks? No. no? Ooh, I like a good strip mm. steak. Depends, though, how you cook it. Because yeah. they can be a bit tough. Mm. Anyway, no. <laughs> Damn it, no. 
So yeah, you guys are going to have some cool stuff. So if you're at the $10 and above level at uh, for our Patreon, yeah, you guys got some cool stuff coming at you. All right. I promise it'll be coming soon. We're just finalizing all the details and then there will be way more after that. $5 and up, you guys are still getting your stickers. You're still getting, you know, the things that you signed up for there and especially the bonuses. That is. And our undying support. Yes. So don't forget to follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify. Please rate us there as well as Apple Music. Okay, and so I guess there's some people I should probably talk about, right? Yeah, like who? You know these amazing people? Uh, I'm sure they're... You know how you have amazing people in your life? Yeah, you. Aw, I appreciate it. (laughs) Ditto, buddy. (laughs) Aw, thanks. But then there's people that you're like, they're way more amazing. Oh, really? Than I could ever be. No kidding. Um, I just want to hit this button. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And of course, say a very, very special thank you to our fearless executive producer, the Patreon Pooper, you son of a bitches with 13,000 names. Yes. All right. I love you guys. And so to Tomislav Subota, uh, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. <laughs> I'm probably saying it so incorrectly. Like, Tomislav, do me a favor, man. You're listening to the show. You're obviously Patreon. Hit me up and let me know how. Give me like an enunciation for your, or a pronunciation for your yeah. uh, for your name because right now I'm seeing Tomislav Sobota, but it could be like Bill James. I don't know. Just let me know what it is. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. I don't. I just don't want to screw your name up, buddy. And I appreciate you so much. To Amanda Dens, Chris Lucas, Zachary Danielson, Joseph Aramo, Margaret Dempsey, Kelly Ryan, Nathan Diekman, Stacey Laconin, Nicholas Cooper, Caitlin McKinney, Trent Scott, Spencer Dunlap, Jacob Cook, Maggie Brothers, Miles Campbell, Brian Gunzelman, Colleen Cox. Pumpkin Escobar, Mac Doherty, welcome back. Turner Cox, Sydney Sayer, Gina, Mad- Gina Madison, Gina, I'm sorry. <laughs> Janet Sherrell, Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from the Fun Box. Get on over and check him out over at that podcast. Christina Skelton and Jessica Bartolome from the Sisters a Skelton podcast. And I feel like we've been kind of coming at them lately with the whole Jersey thing, and I apologize. It just happens to pop up. I mean, Jersey is just- a... A lot of shit goes down over there. A lot right? of shit does go down. You guys know a lot of shit goes down over there. Oh, shizzle. I just want to just make sure you realize that we still love you, and I'm sorry that you come from a stinky state. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually, I never had a problem in Jersey. I actually, oh, yeah. I had I've had time. an issue in Jersey once. I don't know if I oh, told yeah. you about that yeah, story with you, the you, tattoo yeah, parlor. The tattoo parlor. Yeah. The guy that pissed all over himself. Dude. <laughs> it's fun. That was an interesting story. Yeah. Do you want to tell him real quick? <laughs> oh, my God. So we Make it went, fast. So, okay. So we went out to, uh, we went to an Airbnb out there with Sid's, uh, my wife's uh, like parents or whatever um, for just like a, a random vacation thing, right? So we're out there and Sid's like, you know what? I want to get a tattoo. I'm like, sweet. Let's go to the closest one. So we're like, I'm the on the boardwalk, right close to Atlantic City, you know, um, a little little crazy over there. And uh, we're sitting there getting a tattoo. I'm sitting on the couch watching her get this tattoo, and this dude just randomly walks in, and he's got these gray sweatpants on, and the whole front of it's just soaked. You can see the dark stain on it, and he's like, "Ah, man, I, I was just shot." I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, you need help? Like, what's going on? Like, I, I jumped up. I was trying to help him. You know what I mean? And he's like, started like creeping towards the back, like real. Pink fa- or pink uh, panther like, and it was just like trying to like get behind the counter, just you know, do whatever he had to do. So I like jumped up real quick to try and like make sure he didn't get between you know me and the females that were behind the uh, the counter, whatever, working on you know tattoos and stuff. And he just went off, and then apparently the owner's uh, husband came down and with a baseball bat and drove him off because he was a regular. So yeah, but he wasn't shot. 
No, he peed himself. He pissed himself. He pissed himself yeah, just yeah, to yeah. get yeah. some yeah. attention. Yeah. So that's Jersey in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. Just kidding. Love you, ladies. To Maria Gibbs to Chainsaw. What the? What the <laughs> there it is. What the? God damn, I'm having a rough day today. To Jigsaw, Rick Resler, Courtney Bachelor, Katie Brabenick, and Bill Birch. Oh, good for you. Is that good? Yes. Okay. I had such a good time hanging out with them for our, our birthday little soiree we had recently. It was, it was such a great time. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Mm. And to uh, Rick uh, out there, buddy, um, um, I, I hope that you're – I hope everything works out, man. That's all I'm saying. All right. He's a listener, and I know him personally, so I just hope everything works out, brother. Period. That's all I'm going to say about that. I love you guys so much. So spread the word, and if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for us to be forever grateful – Listen, become a Patreon yeah. producer. For become a pooper. These fucking fantastic people. Oh my god. They give their hard earned money to listen to us screw up more shit. You know how much love that is? That is a lot of That's love. That's a lot of love. Especially because we screw up a lot of That's shit. That's what I'm saying. Especially me. I mean, Jesus. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, stay safe out there, passengers. And as always, go ahead. Choo <gasps> choo, motherfucker. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. I hit the right one. Yay! <laughs>